Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. At last! My podcast is complete again. He's not a pirate. I can't get that laugh. His voice is so weird. At and last. At last. Uh, yeah. Uh, the one I wanted to find was Alan Rickman saying, you gandered four times in a row. Oh. You gandered. Right. You, you gandered. You gandered. I can't do it. Hey, no, I can't do Rickman. You can't do Rickman and also you don't remember the line. Right. You know that that part where he yeah. catches Jamie Campbell Bauer? At my ward. Right. And he just keeps on saying gandered over and over again. <laughs> and that's like that's my new ASMR. I had forgotten what a what a uh, sort of pleasurable physical response I have to hearing Alan Rickman say gandered five times <laughs> in a row. You gandered at her. Yes, sir, you gandered. Yeah. I'm just you Uganda? Mm, well, right. Is that is that what he's really talking Uganda. about? Uganda. <laughs> Uh, I, I, uh, you know, Alan Rickman, obviously, uh, we lost him too soon. Sure. Uh, Still a very, very tragic loss to the artistic community. I am happy that before uh, he left us, someone figured out that he needed to say gander. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was like, there was, what's the thing we haven't given him the chance to do on screen? And Burton Um, said, I got two for you. One, say gander five times in a row. Two, uh, play a CGI caterpillar. Right. Yeah, right. We'll sneak (laughs) that in under the wire. A thing I forgot is that uh, this movie uh, shares uh, like five cast members with Alice in Wonderland. He like rolled them over. He always does that, though. He's always here. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to be making an out. Right. Yeah. Right. That's his his vibe. And I think this is when he's like doubled down on on London, which, David, you probably don't understand this, but Tim Burton. There's uh, no place like London. Lived in London for a while. Right. I mean, you right. you understand it because Sweeney Todd lives in London, but you don't have any personal connection to this idea. Yeah, he lives in a very, a very evocative, real London, you know, very, very, uh, very much like the real place. Yeah, I grew Is up it, in London. What? Oh what? 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 You, what? What? What are you talking oh, about? <laughs> Even the guests. Know. Our guest is perplexed. <laughs> I, I, 1995, I, I moved to London. No I've yeah. seen productions of Sweeney Todd in London. Um... Yeah, I mean, look at look at the at the at the I think of like the the Royal Opera House. The That's sh- where they did the I shock think. and awe yeah. on our guest face, mm. and it's genuine because no one can act this well. No, <laughs> two Tonys be damned. Certainly not me. <laughs> no one can act this well. <laughs> uh, we have a very exciting guest, but we, you should introduce the show first. Actually, it's called a Blank Check with Griffin and David. Right, it's about filmographies directors who have massive success early on in their career, right. given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear. Sometimes they bounce, baby. I can't do it. It's close. It's because I'm do. I'm going too far into Jack Sparrow, baby. Baby. Well, yeah. he's got. Then, he's treading that line too. I he's, mean, he's yeah. You know, yeah, it's a broad yeah. accent. You, you got a touch of the Sparrow in this performance. <laughs> sure. Right. This is just sort of like depressed Jack Sparrow. Right, like Jack Sparrow if he was on a prison ship for fifty years. Yeah. Right, or it on was a, all drained out of him. A yeah. Johnny Depp style wine spiral. <laughs> sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a, we're a miniseries on the films of Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. It's called Podward Scissor Cast. And yes. today we have a very special guest. Yes. We had teased when we were getting ready to do this season. We said, we, we, we have booked a guest for this episode in the very loose way that we booked by <laughs> six months in advance going, what do you hypothetically want to we do? We like text someone. Are you free in the next yeah, year? Yeah, in the next year, yeah. sometime in the next year. Uh, uh, who, who has, has won uh, one of the major awards. We we want to keep it vague so that people could speculate. Right. So it has won one of the major one of the, awards. One of the EGOT of mean? the performing sure, arts. Sure, sure. Right. 
Uh, but in fact, he has won two. Of the same one. Of the same one. Yeah, that's right. pretty cool. You got I mean, I have zero of all four. Yeah, exactly. Clear. You right. got a double T. Right. Yeah. You have a ta-ta. <laughs> uh, Michael Servers is our guest today. Hello. Uh, who has played Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Flea Street. I have. And when we were like, who do we want to get on? Right. Uh, I, I had this lightning bolt of like. Right. Pat Lapone. And right, but she and said, recommended you me asked to her, you. and she gave you a withering look. She gave yeah. me a withering look. She told me to turn off my cell phone, <laughs> and then uh, she reminded me that uh, I know you, and we've worked together. And Were you, you on that Sweeney tick? Todd. Yes, tick with Mikey. We're doing that tick thing. Yeah, uh, but I like this movie a lot. I feel like David likes this movie a little less than I do. I, I love the show Sweeney Todd. Okay. And so I think when I saw this movie, which is, I hadn't seen yeah. it since I last, you know, I saw it in theaters. I was like, wow, I still love Sweeney Todd. And, I, and it was violent. And I sort of appreciated how violent it was. Those are my two big takeaways. Now, I had never seen the show. Sure, sure, sure. Before seeing this movie. Okay. So I like this movie a lot, but it exists as its own object to me. That's interesting. Right. In, in that case, it's probably almost great to see I think this. It's kind of, of, I, yeah. mean, I mean, it's still yeah. 80% of right. one of the great musicals, like yeah. one of the best shows of all time. But yeah. I've also spent uh, much of the last 10 years having people go like, but you don't understand. You haven't seen the show. Like getting so frustrated when <laughs> so I try to So you still haven't it. seen the show? You didn't see any Still of haven't. It. They had that I mean, revival recently where they made you a pie. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I know, uh, shamefully, but I, but so I felt like we need to have someone on who not just is like, you know, uh, a, a fan of the show, but has yeah, like yeah. literally lived in it to explain what this movie is or isn't doing correctly at different times, mm-hmm. because I have no understanding of any of that. <laughs> right. I just like that. It's, uh, you know what you like. Bloody. I know what I like. I know what I like, but I also, I, I have been in the other position a thousand times where I like covet this like beloved object and someone adapts it poorly and it drives me insane i spend like i go out into the streets and rip my clothes off sure you ring a bell yeah 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 yeah. right (laughs) you won't believe what they did to thundercats you're like ringing a bell (laughs) (laughs) so how how long uh was the uh production that you were in how long did it run um it ran for a year on broadway okay yeah did you do it off broadway as well uh, there was no, no, no. off Broadway. It was, it was in just, London, though. The same, it was the same uh, conception, type of right? Uh, directed by John Doyle, also there, and with where you in, play the instruments. Yeah, in that was the case, big. Was, idea, that was the right? big yeah. change. Yeah, it was a it was an ensemble of nine instead of you know the thirty five people mm-hmm. who'd done it originally, and um, and the orchestra was just us. So right. the orchestrations yeah. were all changed, and um, it was you know it was more of a kind of chamber piece, which. Sondheim always said was his original intention. It's pretty intimate. It's a lot yeah. of, com- you know, the songs are often just in a room, like yeah. two people singing to each other. Like yeah. it's the, not, I mean, I, there's no dancing. I have to imagine like, stage, it is still mostly set within the shop. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, right? I mean, yeah. it's sort of one unit right. kind of set. And it was Hal Prince's idea to kind of, you know, open it up into this sort of, uh, you know, allegory of, of, of the, the industrial, industrial world right. grinding up people. And, the original you know, production of this giant contraption. I mean, massive. I've never seen it, but I, I've always heard about it. I'm it was say. it was the first Broadway show I ever saw. I really? Saw, oh, I saw, wow. I saw in previews right before it opened. So people didn't really know. People were yet, not prepared for it. Right, yeah. And it was not, you know, super warmly received at the right. time, you know, but... Uh, well, this is my biggest question for you. I'm sorry. I'm uh, interrupting you to cover for the fact that my phone started <laughs> ringing to make it look like this was all in control. Definitely done, though, <laughs> Thank say. you. Acting is reacting, baby. Um, like, it was critically 
fairly well liked. Right? It won award. Like I yeah, think, it but, did, but it wasn't. But it was a very polarizing. It's not cherished thing. the way it is now. Sure, you know, right, like right. it's it's so many people's favorite musical of all time. Sure, now. maybe but, their but, favorite song. Right. Time, yeah. At least, yeah. And sometimes career is a lot of that, where it's a lot of like, why didn't we give yeah. this the respect sure, it deserved? Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't the first musical I saw, but like the, uh, uh, seeing the production of Assassins that you were in and won your first Tony for was like one of those for me uh-huh. where it was like a total light bulb. Like I didn't realize you could do this. Yeah. That everything was, about it. That was my experience too. I mean, I, right. I had grown up sort of being in community theater musicals and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, um, but I'd never really thought that I would be in musicals because I thought the things that I'm interested in and the, and you know, what little talents I have is not really destined for for you know oklahoma or, yeah, or the music I mean, it was sure. sort of because you're a very talented musician and a very talented actor but in terms of what you're interested in you were feeling like well i don't want to do musical comedy yeah i enjoy going to see it but sure. i don't think i have much to offer and then i saw len carry in this production mm-hmm. and and you know there was this fantastic terrifying actor in this really dark and funny you know piece and and i thought well maybe there is a world where you know my tastes so this is like the thunderbolt moment in a way right yeah yeah now was it a thing for you where then that became a like oh god what if i ever got to do that like was it a notion of like i hope i get to play hamlet someday i hope i get to play you know it was in a in a broad broad way sure i mean i at the time of course in a broad way way. yeah i i identified with victor garber as antony and like that was Mm -hmm. the role because i you know age-wise that was what i was closer to so i sort of thought you know, someday maybe I'll get to do that. And when the chance to do this came around, it was so much sooner than I ever expected it would be because I had this idea of Sweeney being much older than me. And mm-hmm. I realized... He, Len Carey, how old would Len Carey? Like well, in his 40s, maybe? Len Carey was younger maybe. than I was when I okay. actually did it, but he looked so much older. Like their right. vision of the character was, was much more kind of haggard and And, and then Bob Gunton played him in the yeah. revival, which is, a, yeah. you know, another like yeah. sort of, you know, character actor guy, yeah. like the, the warden from Shawshank. Those, you are, know. those are both guys who uh, are wonderful actors yeah. and are handsome men, but have old guy face and always had old guy face. Right. Sure. And there's that at effect like 20, too. Right. You know. You, you know, I'm sure they made them both up a ton. Yeah. But you look at pictures of young Bob Gunton and you're like, right, he always looked like Bob Gunton. Yeah. <laughs> he had to kind of grow into it. <laughs> so true. it's like he's maybe best fit to do in theater roles like that that yeah. are sort of like uh, uh, agelessly cranky. <laughs> Um, to be totally dismissive. <laughs> um, but so, what, so what you were talking about the the opportunity comes around. You're younger than you. What that's sort of two thousand four uh, five t- somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two thousand four, I guess, was assassin. So this was mm-hmm. two thousand five, two thousand six. Mm-hmm. So right. Um, um. Yeah. But you were happy to do it. I was thrilled. Sure. And and so so grateful that John Doyle's. Uh, take on it was so different from the original because I had like worn the vinyl LP out learning, you know, every nuance of it. And I, I saw it seven times on Broadway. I saw, I saw George Hearn and Len Cario do it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just kept going back through the, you know, through the couple of years that it was on. And so I knew it inside out like that version. And it would have been, I was already competing with my memory of those guys to begin with. Yeah. So it was such a, a, a helpful thing to me that, that John just wanted to go back to the beginning and, and explore and question every thing about it. I mean, everybody involved in our production 
revered that original version. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to make our own or mm-hmm. we're going to, you know, solve it or something. Right, like it's, it wasn't something broken that yeah. needed fixing. Right? No, but, but you know, we we realized, even with things like the, um, in the Worst Pies number, um, we started staging it the first day and we had like a rolling pin. Patty Lapone, who was playing Mrs. Lovett, had a rolling pin and a, um, and a, uh, dough and flour and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we, and as we went along, it's like, well, she never actually talks about making pies. She talks about the pies, but right. it's Angela Lansbury's. Right. Yeah. yeah. Angela Lansbury's version is so indelibly etched in our mind that we think, well, you got to have a rolling pin and mm-hmm. you got to have flour and you got, but actually none of that is taking place in the lyric, in right. the song. And in the end, we got rid of all of that and it just sort of reduced everything down to its bare essentials so you like and, didn't take anything for granted you sort of re-examined every yeah right every assumption that we had reset i guess back to like yeah, yeah. and wasn't pirelli played by a woman is that yes yeah. right yeah, yeah donald yeah. and champlin yeah yeah who, who learned the accordion to be able to Jeez. play the accordion i mean they're it's like fiendishly talented people mm-hmm. all around me i would sit there some nights just like there were sections where i wasn't playing when i was just sort of sitting to the side and watching uh Lauren Molina, who's playing uh, Joanna, sitting on on a chair on top of a, ca- a, a casket on top of sawhorses with her cello, not just playing <laughs> Joanna and singing yeah. Joanna, but playing the cello part mm-hmm. at the same time. Both playing Joanna and playing Joanna. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. Exactly. Uh, exactly. I mean, I guess you've maybe sort of just answered this through, I mean, talking about the process and, and Doyle forcing you to sort of reset. And, you know, I, I had all my, like, mental gymnastics with the tick because it's like, here's this thing. Yeah. Where I've grown up with this, right. this character I know. But, like, this script that I'm playing is new. Right. So I would just engage with it as, like, these lines have never been said by a guy before, mm-hmm. so I don't have to worry about it. Right. But if you've listened to a soundtrack a thousand times and you've seen it seven times on Broadway and you have those specific like sort of choices in your head. I yeah. mean, etch, not just you saw it and someone did it well, but it's like, yeah, yeah right. How do you, you forget You that? know the right. meter, you know their pitch, you know everything. Yeah. Is there like, do you put active work into uh, making sure you do something different than them? Do you try to just block it out of your mind? No, I, again, I think it was because of the way John worked. Uh, it, it made it possible to kind of forget all of that pretty quickly. Yeah. And just, and like you're saying, like going back to, the, this new script, even though the words were the same as has been said before, and mm-hmm. it, it all sounded different because the orchestrations were different. Sure. We were playing, you know, the instruments. Um, and it was also different because John works in this fascinating way. Everything's just kind of developed so organically. And he has, uh, because of the, the changes in the orchestration, some of the, the actors weren't playing the same instruments that the actors in London had played. Mm-hmm. So that meant that they were free to do different things. We were also sort of building the set through the show as well. Yeah, like we crazy. would, we would move the ladders and we would move the coffins. And um, so the direction would be like, we would just start at the top of the show and just kind of stage just minute moment by moment uh, as we went along. And so John would say, all right, I need you to take this bucket full of blood and it needs to get to the top of that ladder um, by the time Joanna sings. 
And then it was sort of up to you whether you grabbed the bucket and ran up the ladder and then just sat up there and waited until Joanna sang, or whether you sort of hung out down at the bottom and just ran up at the last minute to be there in time for Joanna. Or, you know, you could kind of do something in between. And you could do that on a given night differently every time. So everything you did was related to what everybody else on stage was doing, which started to take your attention off yourself and what you were doing. You just had like a bunch of tasks. That's and really interesting. It right. was so great. Because you're, it, it, because of the take on that production, the actors are inheriting a lot of jobs that often are done by other people on stage where you have to stay kind of, not mechanized, but precisely timed because, yeah. well, that's connected to someone with a pulley right, yeah. or, or, yeah, right, yeah. or a guy with a tuba. Yeah. But then when you're the guy with the tuba, right. you and can, the pulley. Right, you can sort of still like live in the moment in the way you're doing as an, that's, wow, even, that's really even cool. Even more than usual. And I think it made for us an amazing ensemble uh, because we had to listen and feel and breathe with everybody right. else on stage. And even to play, to play the music, we didn't have a conductor, so we just had to listen to each other. And often... We're not facing the rest of the company. So right. you had to be able to kind of like focus with the back of your head. So it changed the the way you acted, the way you listened, the way you did everything. Okay. So this is why I'm fascinated. And also you have to like act and sing yeah, well, as well. Right? Yeah. You know, like <laughs> yeah. But but the great thing is that you're spending so much of your conscious time focusing on these detailed mm-hmm. things that it actually lets you, you you're very natural, act and sing right. much better because you aren't, you know, doubting yourself every second. Well, it's and, that weird fucking thing of just like how much uh, uh, obstacles actually uh, mm-hmm. help. Obstacle or opportunity. Well, th- right. That's the thing. But like all those like nightmare scenarios where you're just like, oh, fuck, like this ran long and we're losing the light and we have like two yeah. minutes to get this scene done. Just Somehow do that it. ends up being the best scene. Yeah. And then the things where you're like, give me all the time I need. <laughs> sure. It's just like, like garbage. It sucked. Yeah. 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 I like... Uh, you know, I, I can say this because we shot in a very weird way uh, mm-hmm. on season two. So uh, th- you will not be able to uh, necessarily ascertain the shooting order. Uh-huh. Uh, but I was like, you know, I'm a very neurotic person. No. And I was. Yeah, well, OK. So are you from England, too? Sclusy. <laughs> Here's a little sclusy, a hot scoop. I'm a very neurotic person. And uh, I like went into season two and I was like, here's my new approach for season two. I'm going to be very calm. Oh, right. And I was like, you're sort of trying to put that out there in the universe. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Like you're hot David thing. Yeah, I was like, sure. David said he's going to tag on it. Right. David's going to become hot this year. Hot, oh, hot David cool. 2019. Yeah. Right. Awesome. And 2018 it just came from the gym. Yeah. was the year. Well, okay. Come on. <laughs> Keep it in your pants. <laughs> Nothing going on there. I literally put it back in your pants. Ben squeeze my arm. Uh, but I was like, I'm going to be really calm and I'm just not going to let myself get worked up and I'm going to try to be relaxed and breathe and prepared and not let myself get backed into corners or any of that. Uh-huh. And then inevitably, uh, the show started becoming crazy as it, it does. Sure. Well, and, and it's built around your being neurotic. So that you must've really thrown everybody else. Yeah, Maybe I, they were like, this is too easy for him. Let's put the <laughs> screws on him. I, I remember the exact order we shot stuff in. And when I watched the first five episodes and I saw the pieces that were filmed in those first 10 days, I go, wow, I am not good here. <laughs> like I am not good. And then the days where I was losing my mind and I was like, I can't even act. I'm so stressed out about all this stuff. I'm fucking hey. killing it. Well, like like Michael says, <laughs> right. you gotta be stressed out. You gotta be stressed out. a stressed out guy. Right. But also that thing of just like, if you have other things to worry about, yeah. it forces you to just make the sort of sure. seat your pants decisions, which if you are connected to and the character, talented. the material or any of that, right. Yeah. 
if you have sort of, you know, the basic operating chops or whatever, then then it's probably better performance than the one where you're second guessing yourself and thinking yeah. about it and being meticulous about Nuancing it. Nuancing it. And, yeah. So you live in the show for a year. You live in this character for a year. Yeah. You're really like putting your blood, sweat and tears into this performance from like multiple sides. And he's making the movie like right around the same time. I mean, you've told well, me he came. Yeah, he, right. he and Helena came like early. Well, like midway, maybe through the run. Um, did you know that the movie was happening at that point? Like, was that it was, it announced? Was, it was rumored. rumored okay. I think, I feel though, like Sam Mendes was Sam Mendes was supposed to do it for a while. Yeah. And it, it was like, ostensibly, this was the Sam Mendes movie that Tim Burton took over. Uh-huh. It was DreamWorks had the rights. John Logan had been writing the script. Mm-hmm. These right. producers were on board. Right. And then obviously he made it his own thing, but it was that movie. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was like right around the time that it was becoming apparent that Sam wasn't going to yeah. do it mm-hmm. that they showed up kind of unannounced and and we didn't know for sure that the movie was happening but the fact that they were there seemed to kind of sure you know hint that maybe they were at least thinking about it mm-hmm. um and they didn't come backstage or anything but you know they were uh unmissable out in the audience really what you think they're like, like a vibe visually distinctive <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was a spotlight on them i don't know but sure. uh, and then then a little while later Actually, I think we we had the rumor was that Johnny Depp was coming with them, and he okay. wasn't he wasn't there with them. But then, because that so, must have looked like an even cleaner equation of yeah, like, okay, yeah. what? So they're do yeah. they do they tell you if someone's famous? Like someone famous is coming like beforehand? I mean, will they, they be like, guess who's coming? They tonight? know, and some actors don't ever want. Right, to I was going to yeah. say, would that freak you but out? I like to know. Sure. You know, it's it, I, you don't want to just look and stage. Yeah, and, like, I would Johnny rather Depp's know there going, exactly, like, exactly. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I'll always ask if there's anybody, you know, and half the time it's like, I have no idea who that person is, but okay, great. Um, so yeah, so we, I think we knew, but when Johnny Depp did come then a little while later, uh, totally unannounced, like didn't tell anybody and somehow escaped being noticed on the way in and, you know, through the whole show. Um, well, he was hiding under 16 hats and scarves. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But you, you would think that somebody might notice that. There's you a know. scarf man here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear bracelets clanking. <laughs> <laughs> but he he apparently came around to the stage door and said, do you think they would Sign mind if I, came, <laughs> if I came back and said hi? And they're like, wow. no, I think that probably would be okay. Yeah, and sure. then word like spread like wildfire backstage. And I mean, you know, he's also the height of his, like Pirates of the Caribbean is yeah. very recent I, at this I, point. Yeah. You I know. was like rewatching this, remembering, because it's kind of bizarre that he got an Oscar nomination for this. Sure. Not just because of the performance. But he because, won a Golden Globe. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. did. But this did movie didn't have much other success with the Academy. But no. then I had to remember, like, this was his peak. Yeah. Like, this Absolutely. was the, he like, do him doing the victory lap after 20 years of being this, like, underground icon of, like, now he's the yeah. biggest movie star. Yeah. And everyone was just so on board with him. Yeah. Him. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So did you meet him? Yeah. He came yeah. back and, you know, like, all the the girls in the company all ran back up to put extra makeup on, uh-huh. you know, to come back down. And you took he, all your makeup off. Yeah, I took all my makeup off. That took a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think he went over to see Patty first. We, we had dressing rooms on opposite sides of the stage, so it was hard to kind of like see everybody at once. Mm-hmm. Um, so he went over there first. And um, I, I also had Larry Lawrence Fishburne had come to see the show that night and i had done uh david and i just got like shivers i fucking love lawrence (laughs) okay okay i had done an episode of the equalizer with him like 
zillions years and years and years, and years before yeah, right. when he was Larry Fishburne. Yeah. Um, so he came back to say hi, and Adam Duritz from County Crows was there that night. Duritz, Fishburne, who's, and Depp? Who was also a friend of mine. So, okay. so, yes, there's a photograph of the three of us in my dressing room <laughs> wow. together. It was, or the four of us. Yeah. Sure, right, right, right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so everybody ended up in my dressing room. We were hanging yeah. out for a while, and then... But at this point, did... Did you know that he was playing the part, or was it still sort of? It was of, still, yeah. still like. And I asked him, like after after the other guys left, he hung out and for a while in my yeah. dressing room. And I had I had my guitar and an amp in there because I used to like practice and stuff between shows. And mm-hmm. um, and so we talked for a long time about music and stuff. And I said, you know, so you know, is are you doing the movie? Or are you do you know? And he said, well, you know, I after watching, he was he was really very. Nice and complimentary. I put myself said, on tape for Tim. He hasn't gotten back to me yet. I don't know. His uh, casting was announced, I'm finding it right, in 2007, mid-2007. Okay. So that's when it became formal. Yeah. 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 It wasn't, I guess it hadn't been announced mm-hmm. yet. Sure. Uh, very often, if there is a revival of a show that is uh, so acclaimed and so successful, uh, and then a new movie adaptation happens... It's like, well, either they're going to carry over some of the cast or they're going to take their inspiration. Yeah, that their never cues. happens. No, sure. well, well, I feel like, no, I feel like more often you're right. They, they cast big movie stars who don't have uh, a musical two training. Things. There's either the sort of the producers thing where they're like, let's just right, have the original do, cast yeah. of the hit show. Right. We'll hire the director of the stage show, which right. is, you know, Not totally different skill set. Right. Mamma Mia was that, but with a new cast. Yeah. And, right. and we'll just do as close to it as possible. And yeah. that usually doesn't work right. because there's you some end up weird with, lifeless quality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Or this approach, which is like, let's just cast the most famous people we can think of and yeah, hire I mean, like a big shot director. I guess yeah. I was I was leading there under uh, uh, false pretense, <laughs> but but that's the thing is like the second he comes on, you're like, well, it's gonna be Johnny Depp and Helen Bottom Carter, and I know what he's yeah. gonna do with the material. Yeah. Now at this point in time, wh- where do you stand on Tim Burton, and where do you stand on the idea of him doing it when you hear when you're starting to put this together? I I mean, I thought Sam Mendes was an exciting, great idea. But mm-hmm. then when I heard that he wasn't doing it, I, I've loved Tim Burton's movies. So sure. I thought, well, that, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, and I can actually see Johnny Depp and he, you know, I know he does sing, you know, yes, he had was, bands and stuff. been in bands, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Although I think he took a lot of like voice lessons because oh, it's sure. a whole I mean, different. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I thought in the, in the world of big, box office movie stars and directors, this is actually one of the better choices you could make to put, you know, to put this particular show out there. I I did sort of feel like maybe it's a little too obvious a choice, like a little too easy. Uh, Sure. Yeah. I mean, I remember having... Do it gothic, Tim. Although this is easily his most violent movie. He's never made anything quite this, like, graphic. I also think this is his most... Uh, Sleepy Hollow is also quite violent. Like he's certainly, this is more violent. Yeah, I mean, no, for sure. Watched for both sure. these, you yeah, know. Yeah, no, this and has that, the very red, Hollow was goopy before, blood. Before, before, yeah, that's yeah. the right. 99. Yeah, I mean, right. these are sort of his only two movies that are like aggressively violent and kind of scary. Like very much a hard R sort right. of, yeah, yeah. yeah. The thing I find really interesting about this movie now in the context of like, we've been watching fucking 20 films of his. <laughs> he's <laughs> the one who picked Tim Burton, I, I want to make clear. <laughs> and I have certain... <laughs> Regrets, sure, sure. but uh, I, I don't. I, I don't regret doing this. No, uh, of course not. We've but had a great I'm time. so tired. Oh, uh, 
No, the thing that stands out to me about this movie is so often he's making films from this sort of outsider perspective. I'm the weirdo. Yeah. I don't understand this world. I don't understand how other people behave. Right. Sometimes those people are villainous. Sometimes those people are well-intentioned. Right. But the movies are all about that sort of feeling of alienation. Yeah. This is a misanthropic movie. World, I mean, this yeah. is a movie about how everyone's terrible. It's a very misanthropic yeah. Yes. Show, yeah, oh, right, no, I'm not yeah, saying yeah, he right. brought that to sure, it. Right, 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 right. But as no, a, but it is unlike his other yes. films in that way. Like right. the, the good characters are the weirdos in right. this movie. Right. And yes. Uh, and, you know, that's inherent to the material. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because I did have that reaction, never having seen Sweeney Todd, but growing up with theater kids who were like, you haven't seen Sweeney? <laughs> I'm like, I get, you would love it. It's like, it's like a musical, but it's like fucking dark. <laughs> Uh, that's not me making fun of Sweeney fans. That's me making fun of a uh, 14-year-old. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I, like, remember reading that announcement and going like, oh, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I didn't feel excited by it because it felt so on the nose. Yeah. I wasn't dreading it. Right. I was more excited than hearing, like, he's going to do Dumbo, which at that time I went like, what is he, why would he, what does he have to say? <laughs> a dark Dumbo. Right. But you read that, like, you know, that he loved the show, that he saw yes. it. I mean, he had sort of a lightning strike moment like you did where did he was it. in college and it was, like, the first musical he had ever liked and he saw it five times. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you're like, I guess this is one of those things. I mean, he claims that he wrote letters to Sondheim when he was, like, a yeah. student at CalArts and was like, would you ever let anyone make a movie? Which he probably didn't read those letters. Well, no. An interesting thing about him, Sondheim does and, or I mean, at least used to always read the letters and really? would write back. Like you could, I remember when I was in college, people saying, no, you can write to him and he will write, send you a typewritten letter back. You know, you short I didn't do it yeah. then, but I, but I like saw friends mm-hmm. letters and, and then subsequently I had done it before I ever met him. And mm-hmm. he did. Yeah. Wow. It was Sondheim. very cool. I wonder if uh, today the same rules apply with uh, texting Sondheim. <laughs> 1-800-DVS. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But yes, I mean, you know, he, you understand yeah, all the things the he's connected show, to yes. in the material. Yeah. This, but like, he, yes, he usually is, you know, I'm the sensitive person who is wronged by society around me. I don't know how to function. Right. And this is one of those weird, morally dubious things where, like, everyone is kind of bad in their own way. Yeah. Like, the, the general take on it is just like, God, fucking people, huh? Yeah. Like, we're, we all suck. We deserve to be meat pies. There's a hole in the world yes. like a great back. Right, yes, right, exactly. right. That kind of thing, like, from, you know. Well, no, he's style. I feel like Depp is sort of styled like Len Carey was with the sort of curtain hair. And, and Elsa Lancaster. <laughs> right, right. From, uh, yeah, with the, yeah, the, the, the right. shock yeah. of white. That's true. And as you were, you were talking about the staging of the pie scene, like, the staging is much more like, Angela Lansbury where she's got a rolling pin right. she's got pies she's got flour yeah. she's sort of banging it all around like it does feel like the original version is the one that's in his head yeah right and his main work he's doing is and and this is what I think desaturating it, it. <laughs> desaturating severely. the fuck out of it mm-hmm. severely like there's that scene where during the Pirelli scene when they start speaking out from the crowd uh-huh. and I go like this is a classic like sort of Tim Burton-y moment of here you have this big crowd scene and two people in it are so incredibly stylized that even in this wide shot, they're going to stand out without the need for like a special, you know, on them. And the movie is so desaturated that everyone looks as pale as they do. Right. Despite the fact that you know that they're wearing two tons <laughs> right. they're, of they're like literally caked in white powder, clown yes. makeup and like dark eyes like yeah. the, the film is so colorless save for that one uh, sequence yeah, by the sea yeah. right 
Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Uh, it's, it's an interesting choice to like <laughs> make the entire thing look so goddamn bleak. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a choice. I don't know. I mean, also these sort of CGI London, these sorts of like weird shots where it's like, yeah. you know, zipping around this fake yeah. Fleet Street. When it started, I was like, oh, wait, fuck, do I hate this movie? Like when you open with like the CGI boat on the CGI rivers yeah. and then like the super fast like zooms through. I was just like, I don't, what? All right. So before you said you do like Tim Burton. Yeah. Before we get onto the plot of the movie. And I like Johnny Depp and I like Helena Bonham Carter. So you were... So I I was I was all on board and like mm-hmm. really eager to see it and eager to to love it. And you were telling me off mic uh, that uh, you saw it at the Ziegfeld. Yeah, they R&D. had a, they had a big screening right before the the opening weekend. It was like you know on the Wednesday before or something at the Ziegfeld, um, and it was you know their invitations to all the Broadway casts mm-hmm. and and lots of people and. And Sasha Baron Cohen was there, and Alan Rickman was there, and Sondheim was there, John Logan was there. I don't think Tim Burton wasn't there, I don't believe, and Johnny Depp wasn't there. Um, but, you know, it was a, it was a celeb sort of mm-hmm. yeah. New York premiere kind right. of thing, and, and in the perfect place to see yes. it, too. Right. Yeah. And, and your, your reaction, I mean, are you yeah, watching the film away? and as it's right. going on? Because I feel like there was a cloud forming in the months leading up to this movie's release where I feel like all the purists were like, oh, have you heard they like cut this out? They're doing this instead. Mm -hmm. Like there was a lot of skepticism from Sweeney purists months before this movie came out. I was not, I was trying not to give in to any of that because there had been, you know, a different version of that same thing in anticipation of Of our show show opening. (laughs) Cause you know, we, we were doing a very faithful to, you know, to what Sondheim had written thing. And he was, you know, he was there with us and he was Mm -hmm. very much on our side. But there were plenty of people who had heard, you know, what they're playing their own instruments or something. No no horns. And um, so, so I knew what that was like. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't going to give that a lot of weight. The thing that worried me the most was seeing trailers with right. no singing in it. Right. Yeah. And I thought, why are they trying to sell this like it's not a musical? Like it's a hard yeah. period piece, right? Like it's a sort yeah. of... That worried me more than yeah. anything else. Yes. The trailer has no singing at all, except there's that one thing from Epiphany where he says, like, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Which I um, guess people were just like, oh, I guess he... That's like a weird Tim Burton flourish, that one line of dialogue is sung. Right, they have the, you serve, the two serve. Like that leading into the I Will Have Vengeance is the only singing part in the trailer. And this was a movie where like, I remember Deadline writing the story about it, that its opening day was big and Mm. then it dropped like a stone. Mm. And they were like, people are walking out 10 minutes in and demanding their money back because they didn't know it was a musical. Like that, they had sort of mostly sold it as like a slasher. They sold it like it also Sleepy came Hollow out at Christmas, which, which is, is an insane odd. time to release it. <laughs> Very strange time to release a movie right. like this. But this yeah. became like, oh, this is like for the people who were like, I don't want to see that fucking Christmas family movie. Yeah, I'm gonna see that like Tim Burton horror film. It's like Tim Burton Saw, 
And then yeah. like the opening is him on a pirate <laughs> ship singing. And people were like, what the fuck is this? Well, that's the thing. You can't get around it. It's yeah. almost sung through. You know, it's mostly yeah. singing. And yeah. so you're going to start singing right away. And yeah. yeah, you better be in on or not. But like it says on the Wikipedia, people were literally like filing complaints to like, not the FTC, but like <laughs> the advertising like commission that like the, the, the film had been falsely advertised, yeah. that they went to see it under false pretenses. Well, I mean, I don't disagree entirely. No, it was you know, and I think an it was, insane choice. Uh, yeah, I think it was really not smart. Like No, you know. no, I think it caused them a lot of damage. And especially when it's like you have the people who love the original work so skeptical about this. Right. And then you're advertising in a way to try to trick the people who aren't going to like it <laughs> yeah. into seeing it. It like kind of feels like they were lining themselves up to be uh, to get everyone angry. But and this is like the kind of musical for people who don't like music. Yeah, right. so Absolutely. accessible. Own so why that. wouldn't you like put that forward? Right. Yeah. Right. You should own this is the musical for people who don't like musicals rather than being like it's not a musical. Come on in, just sit yeah. down, please sit down. Well, I did this. I did this movie, The Mexican, with Brad Pitt yeah. and Julia Roberts. You're in and, The Mexican. Yeah, I played. Okay. I, play I the, haven't seen it since I was 15 years old, which I saw it on my 15 year old birthday party. Um, but anyway, sorry, carry on. <laughs> people are constantly I, 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 campaigning for us to cover Gore Verbinski on this show. Oh, you should. Yeah. You definitely should. Is the, yeah right. It's, a, it's an earlier. Gore. Early Gore. Yeah. The magic, yeah. the weird magic gun with the heart. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You were in the Mexican. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. So, and it was like when we shot it, it was this kind of quirky. Oh, you know, I know you're going to thing. And you know, and, you've and they're got, barely in it together. And they're, they're right. They yes. were not it's at all stories. in it together. Right. And actually. the poster was them canoodling. Yeah. And the trailer was like yeah. the same thing. So similarly, like they they kind of sold it as this romantic comedy yeah. that it wasn't. And and the people who would have been interested in what it actually was didn't think it was for them. I, and the people yeah. who it was sold to came and it, like, it wasn't that. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing. That's My another 15-year-old birthday party, we all had a great time. I was going to say, I remember that movie coming out, it opening pretty well, and then dropping so fucking hard. Yeah. Right. I wasn't interested in seeing it because I was like, I don't care about seeing like a Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, yeah. like rom-com. Sure. And then but it's got like Gandolfini as right, a yeah. gay well, hitman. I well, saw it on a plane six months later. Yeah, I was right. like, this movie this fucking great. rules. Why didn't <laughs> yeah. anyone tell me it was this? I know. Yeah. And in both cases, it's like you've got Johnny Depp in Sweeney Todd. Right, you've right. got like Brad Pitt and and Julia Roberts. Like what what are you afraid of? Like yeah, exactly. you feel it's like also, you have to sell. Give them a shot. These yeah. are still commercial elements. Like saying like yeah. it's like it's sort of a stylish like crime comedy with Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts is as strong a sell as it's a rom-com with Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts. Sure, yeah. And the same thing of like, you want to see Johnny Depp sing? Here's like a really bloody musical. Is <laughs> yeah. an interesting pitch for people who don't like musicals. shave yeah. throats? Right. <laughs> exactly. uh, was the Mexican your connection to Fringe? I'm putting this together in my head. It was the same writer. It was. It wasn't, I mean, I, it wasn't direct. It, it, it wasn't direct. Right, there was right, like right. years and years in between. But yeah, yeah huh. when there was an interesting uh, lining up of things. Yeah. Great. So, what, what, what? I haven't thought your, about the Mexican in a while. It rules. I yeah, mean, it's look, a good movie. It, maybe by this point in time, when yeah, this episode we'll be comes talking out. about it, yeah. right? Exactly. Um, but uh, sort of, what is your experience? We'll go into the plot of the film, and, and you know, you'll be able to elucidate uh, what it's doing wrong or where it's <laughs> shifting from what you would have done or any of that. Okay. Not, not that I'm uh, teeing you up to just uh, give notes on Johnny Depp's <laughs> performance or anything. Um, but. Uh, what is your sort of experience while watching the movie? Well, are, are, is it like a sinking sort of stomach thing? Yeah, kind of. I yeah. mean, I, I don't think I knew that they had taken the, the, the ballad. ballad out. I knew that because he had, Burton had said in interviews beforehand, like, yeah. we couldn't really fit it in. They had cast people to play the chorus, Christopher mm-hmm. Lee among them. Really? Yeah. Anthony had, that's why he's in the movie. Right, right. Really? And then I guess for, I think 
it was partly time and partly they had some sort of interruption in filming because Johnny Depp's daughter was sick yeah. or something. Yeah. And so it's what they cut. Uh, now you're cutting one of the most famous numbers yeah. in Broadway history. Yeah. You're cutting the signature song of the show. And the yeah, the thing that starts it off. And, yeah. And here are two other crazy things. One is he cast five actors to play the ghost chorus. Right. right They're right, all right. gentlemen ghosts. And so they announced like Christopher Lee, Anthony Head to play gentlemen ghosts. And all the Sweet Todd fans are like, there are no gentlemen ghosts. What are you talking about? <laughs> and then in interviews, Tim Burton. A gentleman ghost? Yes. Right. Sort of like, and he's a guy where this has come up a lot. He's not super articulate. He's kind of like sort of mumbly when he like does interviews and everything. Yeah. Right. And the people who worked with him are like, he really knows what he wants, but he's not good at expressing it. <laughs> so in interviews, when people asked him what he was cutting out, he would just sort of be like, I don't know. It just feels weird to have like the townspeople sing and stuff, which I right, think so set he, off red alerts for everyone right, to be like, right. does this guy not get the show? So then they announced they're cutting the gentleman ghosts. Yeah. And it wasn't clear at the time, but it was Johnny Depp's daughter had gotten sick. They shut down filming for four weeks and they had to sort of restructure and go like, we've already cut a bunch in the adaptation at the script stage. Now we have to cut even more because we have to finish the movie. Uh, we have a release date to hit. Johnny Depp's probably got three more Pirates movies lined up that he has to jump yeah. on to. Yeah. So it is like this. It, it's a very short movie considering. It's much shorter than the show. Yeah. Think, right. It's it's less than two hours long. I feel like the but show it's, is. It's just under two hours though. Yeah. The, yeah the I guess movie. the, sh- the yeah. show. Maybe the I mean, show isn't much longer. No, I don't think so. I mean, the ballad is what's been cut, and that's probably ten. Yeah, to and when minutes, I right. when I was going back to look at it again mm-hmm. in anticipation of of getting together today, because mm-hmm. um, I haven't seen it since I saw it in the movie theater, right. um, and I was thinking about you know, well, is it you know, was it for time? Because I didn't know any of the story about his daughter being sick or anything, so sure. I didn't really know why that was cut. And I thought, was it just time? But there's so much air in it yeah that if you know if that was the concern and for me one of the problems in the film is the pacing to begin with that it's just like it's rather leaden yeah they just sort of we just sort of go from scene to scene without a lot of energy to it and then the end moves really fast like I've forgotten like the last 10 minutes are like a bullet train and then you're like wait it's over and that's and that's true of the the show also I just think when the pacing is that deliberate leading up to that it becomes more jarring it's not that there's a problem with all the sort of inciting incidents hitting at the same time it's that it's just like did we just wake up whiplash right yeah. Uh, cause then when it starts speeding up, you're like, oh, are there going to be 30 minutes of them of maintaining this. this pace? Yeah. And instead it's like 10. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, there were just lots of places where sometimes there are places where the ballad, you know, a, a reprise of the ballad would have been, mm-hmm. that's just a montage thing anyway. Like when he's building the chair for the yep, first sure. time, right. it's like, you could have that ghost show up someone there and do two things at once instead of just watching him put gears on. Right. And I think you need the staginess Mm -hmm. of people singing Mm -hmm. to relax the audience about the staginess. It's still stagey. The movie is stagey. Like, right. It's mostly in two different rooms or what, you know, like, and that would just heighten the unreality a little more and like make it more fun. And it's a great song. Well, and it is like, right. Uh, Sondheim, Pretty smart guy. Sure. Yeah. He didn't write that song uh, by mistake. No. He knows you have to sort of like lure the audience into this world, especially since it's such a specific tonal thing and so different than most musicals. Yeah. And as I said, I love this movie, but that opening still fucking almost turned me off of it. And I've seen the thing three or four times now. Yeah. You know, where I'm just like, oh, what the fuck is this? And it, you, it's like hard to imagine uh, an opening 
that is so perfect at alienating almost every single <laughs> audience member. Because you go, if you're a fan of the musical, you go, why aren't they doing Ballad yeah. of Sweeney Todd? Mm. If you're... They sort of do it over the credits, like... Right. I mean, instrumental they, they play, plays, yeah. yes. And, and the orchestra sounds amazing. I mean, they've got, right. got the largest symphony, you know, LSO mm-hmm. is playing it. And Paul Gemignani, who is Sondheim's music, musical director, mm-hmm. you know, for years, um, is fantastic. And so the orchestra sounds amazing and it's so exciting. And yeah. then, you know, and then nothing is done with sure. it. And then right. we're on a boat. And then we're on a boat. Well, we're but on that's, and you're right. that's the thing. It's this one moment where you go like, he starts singing on the boat and... A part of the audience goes, they're singing the wrong song. Mm-hmm. What is this? They fucked sure, it up. Sure, sure. Other people a, are like, a part they're of the singing, is like, they're singing, they're singing a song? A song. Yeah. What is this? <laughs> yeah. And then I'm, even for me, I'm just like, this is dropping you in fast, and I can't get the rhythm of this I thing. remember yeah. kind of liking it just because you've got, you know, the, the young hero is singing, the, and then yeah. Depp sort of slinks up, and he's like, meh. You know, and like, it's and, fun. And he's doing... Like Grand Guignol. I mean, I forgot sure. how sort of posy this performance is, and I'm not saying it's it's a postery performance, no. but he's really going for just kind of like pure iconography. Like yeah. it's like it's 20 percent nose acting. Like it's a lot of nose <laughs> snarling. Yeah, you know, but a it's a that. lot of like stillness right. in dramatic poses. Yeah, he's letting the wig do a lot of the work for him. Mm. I forgot how severe that Robert Kardashian. Stripe in his hair. Sure. No, Robert Kardashian. Robert Kardashian was the father. He had a stripe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You I, mean you mean David Schwimmer? Yes. Juice. Right. Right. Yeah. He's yeah. sort of got a grown out Uncle Juice <laughs> kind of thing going on. Oh no, um, wait. Rob is the son. You're right. That's what I was fucking. Uh, not David. Uh, uh, what's his name? No, it's they're both Robert. Okay. Both Robert. Okay. There you go. It's explained. He named his son after himself, as, as people often do. Yeah. But for me, this movie starts working when Helen Bottom Carter comes in because mm-hmm. I think sure. she is super keyed into the right sort of zone. I I love Helena Bonham Carter. She's a great actress. Mm -hmm. She's nothing not to love. Exactly. She's a fine singer. I mean, the singing in this is sort of fine. Like, I don't know how, you know. He hired actors who can kind of fake their way through the songs as opposed to musical yeah, theater people. Yeah, there, yeah. Are, there are a couple of people, like Laura Michelle Kelly who plays a beggar woman. Sure. Yes. Is, you know, She's legit. Amazing. West End yes. stage. And, and the, the woman who plays Joanna also, I think, came from the West End. I think that's probably yeah. right. Let's yeah. find out. I forgot about her. She was sort of, uh, yeah, like a, a young discovery type. Yeah. Uh, Jane Wisner. Wisner? Yes. Yeah. Uh, she, she's, yeah, she's Irish. Uh, she'd been in a youth production of West Side Story, and she was discovered from that. But since <laughs> more then, like she West did... End Story, <laughs> yeah, you know, is this thing on? Is this thing on? Is this thing on? Yeah, she's she's uh, mostly a stage actress. Sure, um, Helena. I feel like at this point, she's a great actress. Yeah, uh, who's yeah. been around long before Tim Burton just quote unquote discovered right. her. She's Merchant in a, Ivory. She, she's, yeah, she's stuck yeah. in a bit of a Tim Burton trap, though. I mean, that was well, the other. Is, thing. But this is the thing. It's yeah. like. She would then, you know, after Planet of the Apes, she pops up in every Burton movie and people would sort of go like, oh, you know, because, you know, he, she's always, he'll always cast her. And she's also not Even doing, though she's always good in them. Right. But it, but I She think, gets tagged unfairly with this sort of nepotist, you know, like. Right. And then she gets this role, which is a huge role. Huge. Because yeah. she's played more supporting roles in all right. the other Usually films. she's. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I feel like people sort of rolled their eyes. Yeah. But she's, yeah, she's pretty good. I, I, I think she's pretty great in this. I, yeah. I do. I mean, I understand you can throw all the complaints at the singing, but I think she's, the, the thing he's trying to do with this movie is he's sort of trying to find a midway point between the Sondheim show 
and the sort of horror movies that he grew up on. Right. And there's a company, uh, I forget the name, but it was like the company that was sub hammer horror. Uh, sub hammer. Oh yeah. You mean like the buckets of blood company? It's oh. called like Alkion or something uh, like yes. that. Yes. Oh, I do it know starts what you're talking with an about. A. Yeah. Go on, but keep talking. He keep said talking. he and John I'll, I'll Logan bonded over watching they those that movies. Kind of stuff, yeah. right. That it was like the sort of like D grade. Amicus. Amicus, Amicus movies. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They were like, we want to make Very, an, an oh, Amicus movie. They wanted movie. in the, Yes, right. exactly. Yeah. Like the house that drip blood, the uh, you right. know, those sorts of things. So yeah. he's like, I kind of half want to make the musical and I half want to make this sort of very straight faced sort of like nasty gothic horror grandiose blood, blood movie yeah. film, um, which is like a weird balance to do. And I think she's best tapped into the sort of not the tongue in cheekness of it, but but the the humor of it. Yeah. I mean, Depp is sort of like just allowing other characters to get laughs off of him in contrast. Yeah. Because he's so stuck in his own like universe the whole film. Like it's all him staring off into the distance. Yeah. I, I, I remember thinking at the time and thinking again when I saw it recently that that sometimes it's it's not good to work with the same people all the time. And especially right. somebody that, that. that you, you know, are on such a wavelength with yeah. because maybe they don't push you the way you need. I feel like he has, Depp has a much better performance in him. Right. That, especially at this point in time. This yeah. is more him doing, as you say, what we might expect of him. You uh, know? Yeah. And he's, He's a charismatic actor. Right. Yeah. But him in the Sam Mendes version would have probably right. resulted in a more engaging right. performance. Right. I mean, this is really when they start to get stuck in like a cul-de-sac. Yeah. The three of them of like yeah. HBC, Burton, and Depp. Yeah. We're also, there's like tempered excitement every time they're announced to be doing a movie together it's again. Because like, it's like, oh, well, I know what it's going to be. Good. And yeah. this one also feels like the apex of they're literally just becoming fetish objects for him. Yeah. Like he's found these two people with both upside down teardrop faces. <laughs> these very angular sort of mm-hmm. gothic beautiful mm-hmm. people his wife and his best friend yeah. sure. and he just keeps on styling them more and more to look like his dreams Yeah, and I do have that like uncomfortable kind of thing watching it where it's just like it, it feels like he has too much control what, mm-hmm. what we were talking about before of like the limitations and the obstacles yeah. or whatever yeah. like he has now like had his the two people he's closest to in his life are both bankable so he can make any movie he wants with the two of them, right. make them look exactly how he wants. Mm-hmm. He's got his regular creative collaborators and people just back off. And it just feels like there's not necessarily enough tension that he had the early parts of his career. Because everyone's like, yeah, do the Tim Burton thing. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. Well, Sweeney is a character and you have played Sweeney mm-hmm. Todd. He could be one dimensional. Like he's this sort of Terminator-esque. He's so... <laughs> ruined like or yeah. what you know and yeah. he's so hell-bent on revenge and he's sort of this like ghoul right he sort so of died already i mean he's like kind of a reanimated like what was, yeah. by yeah. revenge yeah well right. like i remember in your production i mean a lot he rises out of a grave is sort of the classic introduction of sweetie yeah. todd right yeah. um but yeah is do you think that's a limiting thing like that you could just sort of look at this character and be like yeah he's just a scary ghoul man i i think it's just it's a mistake when when people think that that's what it is and try to right. you know play it that's that way. Right, right, you know, right, right. Obviously, it, it's never going to be uh, interesting if it's just one dimensional. Mm-hmm. I I mean I think again because our production was was so unusual, it was easy to go back to the script as though you know like if you're doing Hamlet, you've got mm-hmm. to look at it. People have been doing it for four hundred years, but you have to pretend you know. Well, right. What what if I'm the first person to ever read this? You yeah. know, what do I know from the script and 
um, you know, you get details like this is a guy who's been away for 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a guy who's uh, still a father and a husband. And, mm-hmm. and my thought was if he could have come back and found his wife and daughter immediately, he which, might be which for all he knows when he gets there, you know, be that, waiting for him on the deck that, or whatever. Yeah. Right. And then he'll, you know, the, he'll take them and they'll escape to, you know, right. the North of England and, sure. and have a happy life. And it's actually the villain of the piece really is Mrs. Lovett who mm-hmm. recognizes who he is. Um, she's the one who's gotten rid of right. his wife and yep. daughter essentially. And, and then channel, you know, sees, an opportunity to have yeah. an alliance and have this man that she always was sort of fascinated by to begin with. Um, and she channels and, you know, she's the, you know, lady M of, of right. the story. Right. Um, so, so I think there's a lot of room and I think, I think Johnny Depp does this or, you know, gestures towards it with, uh, you know, a vulnerability and a, mm-hmm. and a broken side in addition to the, the deep, deep wells of vengeance. But I, I would say, you know, half in Depp's performance, half in the stylization of Depp. Yeah. From the moment he steps forward and starts singing on that boat, you're like, this guy's gone. Yeah. Like, there's no coming back for this dude. Yeah. And that is a thing I think the movie kind of botches, which is just like, there is no possible happy scenario for this guy the way they've played him in this film. Yeah. It doesn't feel like if He's he met his wife, he would just be like, let me scrub this yeah. streak out. Now I <laughs> yeah. can smile again. Like, it's the difference between, like, playing Dracula, who is still, like, a romantic character with emotion and empathy, uh, even though he is villainous, versus playing this character as a theatrical zombie, which is kind of what Burton and Depp have decided to do, that he's sort of just, like, a mythic monster at this point. Yeah. I mean, was that kind of, like— uh, not not to uh, force you to uh, sort of uh, spill your secrets if, if they are things you covet, but was there sort of like a central thing you tapped into for the character where you're just like, above all else, this is like my key to, to Sweeney. This is like the fundamental spine of the character is that. Well, I think for me it was that he's a father, you yeah. know, and that uh, that as as deeply as he goes into his, uh, you know, his tragic flaw is his need for, for vengeance and retribution that makes him oblivious to what is literally in front of his face at times. Um, so, you know, I think, I think he has to remain a human, a recognizable human being to us so that the monstrosity can be even more disturbing because it's like, wow, I guess if I felt, that deeply maligned and that my life was taken away from me, I might actually, you know, have that kind of revenge fantasy myself. Yeah. And this movie certainly has none of that tension. No. Not really. It's more like, when are we going to get to, you know, the the killing. But the thing is, I feel like Depp is best, his best two scenes are the Pirelli scene because Mm -hmm. he gets to be a little fun. Yeah. Right. He gets to have a little more levity Mm -hmm. and a little more sort of like pride in his skill. Yeah. Yeah. And then Epiphany, which is the one time that, like, they kind of, like, which is the, you know, come yeah. here, I'm yeah. sweet. Again, a little, like, charisma. Like, he's right. at least, like, alive. And the staging of that is alive with him, like, walking around. And 
It some, feels yes. more unreal. It's not just him in a chair or next to a chair. Because some of this movie feels like 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 a fish out of water comedy. Like it's like Thor or something where the yeah. joke is like, why yeah. is this guy so stilted? Sure. Like, yeah. He's just sort of standing there being right. weird. Right. And, yeah. and he spends so much of the movie not making eye contact with people. I yeah. mean, it's like he's in his own show in his head. Yeah. Which is a choice. Which And, and that can work, I think. It but can. then it has to be supported and and not left to just kind of sit there by the you know by the direction by the design right. by, but even you know, when he's like peering at Joanna through the window you're just like this guy is still just like gone yeah like he's in the sunken place yeah <laughs> you know well, like, like there's the, no rescuing the him the biggest the biggest place i feel like they miss that opportunity is in um a little priest you know, <laughs> which is one of the most fun numbers in the whole show and it's, it's so, so nastily funny yeah yeah and it's so brilliantly placed in the order of things right after epiphany mm-hmm. so right when you've had this like bile filled like horrific thing mm-hmm. you know i want you to play yeah. this <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then immediately mrs lovett's like you know hmm. <laughs> <Seems> <laughs> <an> awful ways. <laughs> and uh and so it it should be so, it's so fun. great it's yeah. so great and and it just lands like a lead balloon sure. in the movie and mm-hmm. it's he's yeah. very leaden in that one he's he really is not leaden. doing anything yeah. and and they also i think make the mistake of it's one of those oh okay it's a movie so we're going to open it up mm-hmm. so so when they talk about each of the kinds of pies you know they look out at the window sure. and see the kind of people and the point is not like that it's the people it's the pie like in the show right. it's all like pantomimed and and they're always talking about pies so it's a game between the two of them right. instead it it's becomes so, a little literal it's so yeah. literal yeah. when he says when he says is that squire on the fire and they have a guy through the window a squire standing in front of a fire <laughs> right. it's like oh come on yeah and and it doesn't it doesn't make it delightful and and wicked and fun the way you know it can be without losing any of the you know actually giving you more of an opportunity to go even deeper in the dark stuff because mm-hmm. you've had some you know playtime so well and also I mean this is not a dancey musical but, no but he even more so is trying to create more movement through his edits and the juxtaposition of images that he is through right because there is some sort of like pointed choreography of people how they rotate around each other in the room yeah there's some sort of like theatrical dramatic uh choreography that that is effective yeah but a lot of it is like that and and that's an example of one where it's just like you're not gaining anything by doing this yeah I love, like, just in the Pirelli sequence, Mm -hmm. the reveal, you start with Sasha Baron Cohen sharpening the blade, and then you cut to the reverse angle and you see his knuckles. That's so good. There's stuff like that that's, like, perfect Burton, like, delayed gratification, Mm -hmm. like, that's where I see the animator stuff come in. Mm -hmm. He really understands, like, the power of, like, showing you an image at just the right time. Sure. Well, the whole by the sea thing, I think it's it's like one of the most successful parts of the whole movie, I think. Totally. And and that's sort of playing off this comedic concept of like Sweeney's just in another fucking show. Yeah. Like you can't break through to him. He's just like an Edward Gorey cartoon. Right. But it's funny if he's sitting there all dressed up in the sea clothes and and like sort of looking sulky. But that's a musical number that's all about editing, but it works. He found an interesting way to make it cinematic. Yeah. Um, The first time she she slides over the pie is like a very well-timed edit. I mean, mm-hmm. there's like a gulf between when he's onto something yeah. about not how to open the show up, but how to make it work in this medium yeah. versus when he's just opening things up or literalizing things for the sake of, 
I don't know, that can't just be them in a room, right? Right. Yeah. Which I feel a lot like, of it's them in a room. Right. You kind of have to I mean, own that. Or walking down the street. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. and that's that's two two you know problems with those two things. One, the rooms are so huge, very cavernous, and that, odd, and empty. Yeah, like, yeah. Which doesn't feel like you know the London of the no, time. No, it you should know. be like cramped and smoggy and gross. As a British person, you know exactly. You know. <laughs> My father worked on Fleet Street, not this Fleet Street, but. But Wait yeah, so, so how is that possible? Sweeney, he was an Englishman. I remember reading the what? newspaper stories about Sweeney Sims, the, <laughs> this demon journalist of Fleet Street. Wait a second, Wait a minute. Oh boy! Your father right, was no. a journalist, right? Yeah. That's okay, right. nailed it. I mean, yeah, that's, what, but, that's what Fleet Street was in the 20th century. Was where all yeah. the papers were. Yeah. Um, Except but, the sorry. typewriters weren't filled with ink; they were filled with blood. <laughs> I'm sorry, Michael. Carry um, on. Oh, but oh. so you've got these like huge cavernous rooms with just like people and nothing else yeah. in them so you're more aware of any kind of staging moving right. them around stuff or not doing it and you also like just don't have a lot of stuff around and then when you go into the streets of london mm-hmm. teeming with life at this time mm-hmm. and they're like empty most yeah, of the like time four people in, the movie. in petticoats yeah. yeah like that's it it's you know it's just that's what and the the asylum scene mm-hmm. is one of the you know more disturbing environments because it's chock full of like freaky scary people and yes. shadows and stuff. Yeah, I think the movie gets so much better in the back in the back half, half of it. I agree yeah. when yeah. it gets yeah. when it's being it's embracing the nightmarishness. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. It, it takes yeah. I mean, the movie doesn't have much of a pulse until blood starts spurting. Like there's a clear like shift of like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the way that well, musicals also, it's color. Like and the yes. movie demands Which is color. And yeah. and so that is the one thing that's good about the black the very, very Which I think is intentional. Yeah, of course. But it makes course. the first hour a little tricky to get into. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing is in the same way that like you know, musicals are uh, the characters are at a point where the only way to express themselves is to break into song. Exactly. The blood feels like it's serving a similar purpose in this. Mm-hmm. Like he's using the blood as sort of a cathartic opening of yeah. everything that's so repressed. Yeah. But the problem is you are setting up, and I like this film, but you are setting up a film where it's like, okay, so for the first hour, it's going to be monochromatic <laughs> and no one has any emotions sure. because I'm leading it all. It's all wind up for the second hour where it's a ton of blood. Yeah, sure. And that's, I think it could have worked just as it is if you really felt underneath that surface, you know, mm-hmm. depth surface uh, deadness, there was this this raging right. fire inside, but which you just, just don't. He, I, and that's where I yeah. think, you know, he, that's he the could have been helped and, by. Been and the zombie yeah. thing is just like, you know, I, I go to that specific analogy because it just feels like he's like driven by like brains. Like it's yeah, like there's sure. not. Yeah. A thought process. He's just moving towards an end goal without any sort of strategy. As right. opposed to Alan Rickman, who oh, I mean so is so just a goodness. brilliant actor, yeah, period, right. and a great stage actor. And yeah. you know, and also, not that I know a particular musical theater actor, but he knows how to use language and fill you know your text yes. with mm-hmm. so much nuance and complicated. I mean, he's, a, he's a much more torn you know, driven, troubled, questioning character than Sweeney Todd is. Right. And and I think he's also owning that this is a filmed musical. I mean, he knows that he can do slightly more introspective work because the camera's like, uh, you know, two feet away from him. And then even as another parallel, like Timothy Spall is going 
big with this performance. <laughs> yes, I mean, <laughs> Timothy Spall is one of those guys where he I've seen him give the most subtle. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. But right, you could you can sort of wind him up, and he's like, "Let me go," yeah, and okay. you can let him go. Well, and I mean, you think of like Harry Potter, you think of right, Enchanted, right, like, right? Yeah, yes. Uh, but but he is tapped into the central sort of vanity of this character oh, totally. that's he's driving great. him. Where even though it's very cartoonish, it's rooted in a real thing, yeah. and you see that you see him playing the conflicting emotions. Yeah, there's a real need. Right, depth. There, yeah. It's just like eyes on the prize, like. Yeah. 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 In in a way that is sort of lacking any nuance. Yeah. I mean, it's well performed, but it's like uh, And I you know, I just I'm certain that there's there was more yeah. there. In this you know, time I mean, period there was more there's more to mind. He's a very good actor. He is. Uh and this is sort of his last sort of quote-unquote good performance. I'm trying to think. Yeah. About his filmography, like after this, oh, he makes well, right after this, he makes Public Enemies, right, which he's pretty good in. He's sort of being used as a marquee idol there. I mean, I think his last good performance is Rango. Yeah, and then he's in Alice in Wonderland and The Tourist, and then he's in Rango. Right. I mean, th- this is when we start moving into a really bad direction. Yeah, and then yeah. he does another Pirates, he does Dark Shadows, he does right. The Lone right. Ranger. He does another Alice. He does Mordecai, he does another Alice, right. And Yeah. Um, but certainly, I don't think this, I do think he is somewhat trying to stretch himself. That's why he got an Oscar nomination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I I agree that he's he's a little lifeless. I wonder, too, if if any of it has to do with so much of your performance having to be through singing Mm -hmm. and, you know, and maybe not feeling, you know, entirely, entirely confident, even though he is a singer and has a, a, you know, very nice voice, but it's, it's different, you know, it's different being a pop singer or a rock singer and, and a, you know, a storytelling theatrical singer. And I feel like, I mean, it's a problem I think generally in musicals on stage too, that often when people open their mouths to sing, they kind of stop, stop doing acting. anything they're else. Just yeah, they're right. just singing. And I understand why. And it's, you know, you have a lot to think about when you're singing, but mm-hmm. it, it almost, I would always rather hear somebody who's not hitting every night, every note beautifully, but is really telling me the story and really using the text to yeah. like convey the character and everything else. And, and I, I do feel a little, uh, self-consciousness maybe mm-hmm. at, at what he perceives as his lack of experience. Whereas Helena doesn't have that. She's Helena going doesn't for have it. that. And, she's and, she's right. sort of just having fun. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But also even like this is not a musical where they did the songs live. You know? No, that's no, another no. thing right. I think was yes. a big mistake. Yeah. You know? yeah. But, and, and I see him like there are moments especially in some of the bigger sort of more operatic songs where his performance sort of you know they still sing on set because as yeah, Burton says it, you know yeah. you have to match the sort of the breathing and, right, and so all of that right. but I, I sense in his physical performance less confidence than what is on the track right. which he probably had more time to like hone sure. and then you I, I feel at moments distinctly like he looks not embarrassed to be singing but embarrassed that he maybe isn't as or or maybe experienced. It's, maybe it's not that so much as like trying. I mean, because when you're when you're essentially lip syncing mm-hmm. in your you know live performance, you're trying not to screw up all if, the time. Yes. you know, and so there's this, and I'm sure there also was a lot of concern and probably discussion about you know the scale of the performance in the singing, the mm-hmm. scale of you know for the camera what's too much, and um, and it just felt like 
everybody was afraid of going too far, being, you know, too far over the line or for the most part. And, and you have to make a decision in the recording studio in a right. booth Which is right. yeah. about what it's going to be. And then, you know, and then recreate it on the day with yeah. all this other stuff going on. I mean, it's, it's a really difficult task and, you know, it just seems like I just would have loved to see them do it live, see sure. them, you know, not worry so much about the the details and the particulars and the the nuances and mm-hmm. tones and just like just go and chew the scenery a little more. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like she's having a lot more fun with it. And she yeah. seems a little more confident. And I, I, I do feel like she is certainly doing that thing where she is singing in character. Yeah. And she is acting while she's singing. Yeah, you're getting the story. You're getting the, like, thought processes and yeah. stuff. Yeah. The other thing I just uh, was really taken by rewatching it is her eye acting is so good. Because <laughs> so much of this movie relies on... You're sort of, like, twitchily looking around. And, yeah, yeah, the yeah. shifting of her mm-hmm. focus. I mean, right. like, Tim Burton milks so much out of yeah. her glancing from one area to another, especially sort of choreographed to the rhythms of the mm-hmm. music. Yeah, and she's also very like often, she's got spinning, right? Yeah. Like that's sort of what that character is, where she's yeah. like, oh, I spun up a tune, you yeah. know. But <laughs> as, as you say, for her to be the sort of Lady Macbeth figure that makes the show as tragic as it could be, you have to believe that she is preventing him from a certain level of happiness that I don't think is attainable. Yeah. From the start of this show, when she reveals that, you know, she has lied about his wife, I just go like, yeah, but I mean, what's the, they weren't going to get together. Right. You know, what are you talking about? He's gone. You know, he's like RoboCop now. Yeah. He's like, there's no going back home. It could have been that she gives him the razors. Yeah. He starts a nice little barber business. Right. You know, they <laughs> he's good at it. I mean, he's good at it. He's a great it, barber. You know? yeah. Let's say that. He's a great exactly. barber. Exactly. You know, she can close the shop, you know? Yeah. That's the, they could make a profit if he wasn't so intent on stabbing people in exactly. the throat. Well, I mean, repeat business is nil. That's a, that's a big problem <laughs> yeah. with this business model. I mean, it's a big model. town, but still. Right, right. Yeah, and also word of mouth, non-existent. But that is, that's another <laughs> thing You don't have about, any people walking out of yeah, the store right. going like, I cannot recommend this guy highly enough. Except for the one guy with the family who comes yeah. yeah, which is another moment that I think is pretty well executed of revealing that family through the cut where you don't yeah. understand why he hasn't slashed the guy's throat yet right. and you cut to the other angle. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Um, trying to think if there's other stuff we should talk Can about. Can we talk about Sasha's performance? Yeah, sure. Yeah. He's so great. He's really great. He is. He's really into it and yeah. he's fun. He's yeah, fun. He's really I, fun. You kind of get the feeling it's like he figures I've got nothing to lose. Yeah, you know, exactly. I'm just going to yeah. go for it. It was one of those, I remember I saw this in theaters, uh, I was living in Paris uh, with my Jeez. friend. This is, this is actually true. Ah, oh, great. I saw so many Boy. weird movies in, in Paris that would like, that I, you know, I saw this with the French subtitles. Like you see, because in, in France, they will usually show it in the language, but they'll put French subtitles on it. After college, Dino David. Bon, it's weird. Yeah. It's weird to yeah, see them try to translate Sondheim into French, you know, lyrics. After college, David lived in Paris for a year and worked as a bartender, a.k.a. the sexiest thing that anyone's ever done. Um, so mysterious of you, David. Um, so compelling. <laughs> You saw this in France, and when Sasha Baron Cohen comes on screen, it was it was when the when the uh, credits played. Okay, and his name came up. My friend and I were like, "Sasha Baron Cohen is in this." Oh, you didn't know he was no. in. No, for some G? reason, exactly. That I, had we. I grew up in England. Yeah, Ali yeah, G yeah. was very important to me, yeah. and I guess like 
I feel like Borat this was the first thing they happened, announced right after Borat. Like, so I this guess was he's really on the right. He's really yeah. sort of king of the world, right? And yeah. this is him doing a different thing. It's in his wheelhouse. He's yeah. doing a funny Cockney accent. He's doing a funny, you know, European Italian right. guy accent. But he's he's a decent singer. He's got like a yeah. nice. Oh yeah, uh, sort of like profound voice. You know, he's he's fun, and yeah. and he's playing emotional depths to this character. I mean, the pettiness and mm-hmm. the sort of uh, strategic minded kind of wiliness of him. Sure. I mean, yeah, I remember his announce th- them announcing his casting in that sort of like. I mean, what this movie? They film it uh, the the beginning of two thousand seven. Borat sure. comes out the end of two thousand six, and I feel like this was maybe the first post Borat where everyone was going like. Well, you can't keep on doing these like, yeah. like hidden camera movies forever because everyone's gonna know yeah, what he does. Yeah. So everyone was trying to go like, what's his movie career gonna be like now? Sure. Right, yeah. right, right. Like what what's it gonna be? And this seemed to be. I mean, he has pretty consistently always been more interesting if you give him a supporting part in a scripted yes. movie mm-hmm. versus his scripted vehicles, He's, which don't really work. Well, like you can imagine Johnny Depp being a great Pirelli. Yes. Oh yeah, you know, without the burden of carrying this, you know, iconic character Especially and everything else in his know. early Burton working relationship, yeah. where he was a leading man making character actor choices, and yeah. also whereas could, this, it feels like he's burdened with the like I'm the leading man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he would have a whole spin on this sort of showman thing. Anyway, right. it would be great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was the Pope. That's my favorite line. It's so funny. <laughs> and they, then they have the little, uh, yeah, little. Portrait of the Pope. <laughs> yeah. So funny. I think Toby is very good in this too. And he didn't really yeah. act that much after no, this. No. Yeah. Uh, he is good. He's got, He's a, good got a good face. Yeah. I mean, often that's played by an older actor, right? Like, I yeah. feel like that's played yeah. more like a teenager. Yeah. Like, right. Yeah. Because like, Neil Patrick Harris played that role. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. 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 So yeah. It's, usually, yeah. it's usually a young, you know, right. youngish looking, but older like person. A, like a tenor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, and this is, it's great making it a, child right makes it all so the more, more disturbing than, exactly yeah. it, it makes, and i love it, it when that he, number. He, yeah, right. leave the bottle on the chin <laughs> yes <laughs> i'm a yeah, drunk kid it yeah. makes those things funnier <laughs> drunk urchin you're a big urchin fan <laughs> yeah yes. no but it's like there's something like you know innate in our like human condition to when you see a kid with dirt on his face who looks yeah. sad <laughs> you know right. and it's yeah, like yeah. it makes those jokes funnier yeah it makes, it makes the his all sweetness the more sadder, frightening, yeah. right? And it makes it more frightening, and it makes the tension of when he's locked in the basement yeah. really yeah. like visceral. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like something you really kind of gain. Yeah. Uh, something that I think doesn't work in making it a film rather than a stage show is uh, the the second the beggar woman comes on screen. Yeah, you don't have the same sort of license that you have in a stage production where you're like, well, actors double up on parts. Right. Yeah. The fact that they're not showing her face, you immediately go like, well, this has to be something. Yeah. yeah. Like they're clearly withholding right. a clear well, shot of her face the, for a reason. Again, the other problem of this empty London where she's like well, the only character right, who's right. on the you, street. Because in the in the production, there's she a whole gets teaming lost mass. In, yeah, right. And you don't, you really don't clock it so much. But yeah, right. there's no way not to in this. Right. You, it's, it's theatrical license. Yeah. Who knows? Whatever. There, and she's great. I mean, she, I felt like you know, a she's a fantastic singer yeah. and, yes. and you know emotionally you know brings everything yeah. that you would want to it um, but yeah it is sort of no no not knowing where that's headed it's that sort of basic like film language like I literally think the only movie where that works is somehow the prestige 
Right. Where for an hour into it, you don't is this guy? really clock that they're not showing you the other guy. Yeah. yeah. You know? And, yeah. and he only starts focusing on him when he wants you to, like, figure it out for yourself. Yeah. But I feel like any other time in a movie where they don't give you a close-up of a character saying that much dialogue, you know something's yeah. happening. Yeah. yeah. You know that they're withholding something for you. Yeah. You know, it, it, deliberately to trick you. Yeah. Uh, Who else? The, the, the two young, you know, romantic. Uh, characters they're very are, pretty you know, they're pretty and you know singing yeah. well enough and I, I re-watching this uh forgot until she comes on screen that it isn't amanda seyfried because no. i had somehow combined this oh, and les mis and, in my head uh, uh, sure. between right. the sasha baron cohen helena bonham carter right and the sort of like kept but, like, woman in the ivory is, tower even thing. though les mis is after sweeney todd like that this, that's what this is making fun i mean that's what joanna right. is such yeah. a good right. song yeah. Yeah. is exactly. you know it's it's sort of like you're like wait is this a love song or is this frightening right. I, you know yeah um but they're yeah they're fun. Jamie Campbell Bower he's been around since he's been around, right. He's, well, he was in the Twilight movies. And right, he was right, in, right. He's right. been in a couple. He's those got big that franchises. sort of vampire look. He's, yeah. he's a handsome vampire. He's a, he's yeah. a drawn Englishman. A yes. Very you know skinny drawn Englishman. And uh, yeah, um, it's a very small. It's a very intimate just, movie. It is. Yeah, that's true. And you had done this intimate show, but obviously intimacy is way easier to get away with on. Uh, on stage than well, it is I on mean, screen. You, you would think it's easier on screen. Well, in some ways, it can be because yeah. right, yeah, you're you can. Uh, but I think if you're not moving around for like from yeah. set to set too much, yeah, it can become very oppressive very fast in a movie. I, I think that's also one of the reasons why I hate all the sweeping CGI town shots. Right, not just because I think they are not particularly well executed, but it feels like you are trying to quote unquote open this up in a yeah. way that's totally unnecessary and works against what should be an asset. Yeah. How intimate it is. Sure. Yeah. You should feel sort of bottled within it. And every time yeah. they cut to the CGI like cityscape or the crazy, like, you know, sort of zooms through the city. I'm just like, you're working against yourself. Yeah. If it was a claustrophobic, like you, yeah. you could never get away from, right. you never get any perspective. I think that would, make you even more in the middle of the story. Well, you know? even you look at something like uh, the, the first Burton Batman, mm -hmm. where it's like they have this massive city set, but you can tell they only could really afford to build this one sort of town square center. <laughs> right. right. And the fact that the set is that big, but you're also so confined to this one area yeah. helps add to the menace of the city. Yeah. And this, it's like every time they zoom out, you deflate the balloon a little bit. Yeah, yeah. If you can zip around London that quickly, right. you know, it's, it's easy. Because the yeah. thing starts really like leave. right yeah. clicking like in, in a nice. real high gear. This won for production design. It won the Academy Award. I totally forgot Dante that. Ferretti, who's a, obviously yeah. a legendary, I mean, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, but you know, you think of Dante Ferretti, you think of like Gangs in New York. You think of these giant sets that he would mm -hmm. build out right. in Rome. But and another that, where, movie you know, where like the town square, sort of, of the main course. area I mean, where the, they what, meet. That's like the greatest set. It helps if you like movies like this. You just have one giant set. Yeah. Where you cannot comprehend how big the set is, sure. but you also understand where the walls are. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was sort of getting a Peaky Blinders kind of vibe to the well, set. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Penn Pen loves Peaky Blinders. He likes to bring <laughs> yeah. up Peaky Blinders yeah. all the time. Have you seen it? Yeah. It yeah. rules. It does. It's so good. <laughs> it so does. I was just like the whole time I'm like, are some Peaky Boys going to show up? <laughs> are some Peaky that's Boys? A, that's like, you know, it's like 50 years on, I think. Right? Uh, They're yeah. like post-World yeah. War One, right? Okay. The Peaky you Blinders. You can pretend yes. this is a prequel to Peaky Blinders. I will. That's yeah. also Birmingham, which is the even like glummer place <laughs> than Lindlum. Birmingham? Um, 
You, he did. He did it better you from say the accent. It won the Oscar. The other thing I yeah. forgot that I, I was only reminded by looking at Wikipedia was that uh, this won uh, uh, Best Picture and yes. Best Actor at the Golden Globes. Correct. And I was like, why do I have no memory of that happening? And it's because it's the the strike year. This is the writer strike oh. year where the where Golden they just Globes read them out. was a news <laughs> right. broadcast. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It was they twenty had, minutes long. They had right. two people. Yeah. And they just in like a, a fucking local news set. I forget who it was. It was like sub I, entertainment tonight anchors. It was like those types of people. It was like, you know, Billy Bush or whoever right. going like, and the winner is Johnny Depp. And then they just play a clip and there were no acceptance speeches. No. Of course not. They barely read the nominees. Yeah. No, I think they just read the winners. They just I, read the winners. It was like 45 minutes long. I remember watching it sadly in my college dorm room. <laughs> Where you had only like the college they did it in local your college dorm room cable. I bought a little TV. They did it in my college dorm room. Uh, Jackie Wasserstein from down the hall was was the host. Right, yeah, right it was this very surprising year because Mad Men was in its first season right. and was still this sort of like critical favorite that was on a weird channel no one watched. Yeah, yeah right. and it won the Globe and John Hamm won Best Actor and it was just sort of like in the list. Right. And people were like, wow, like, that would have been a big deal if yeah, this like, was if a, anybody like, be knew televised. About it. Right. Yeah. Every, every shocking win failed to make any imprint because right. there were no acceptance speeches, so which you realize are what make those awards Certainly. mean something. Yeah. Right. If someone Even just coming in. They're always trying to like right. cut down. Right. The like, no, shorter, shorter, yeah. shorter. Right. But, yeah. but it's like the greatest illustration of like if you don't see what winning the award means to the person. The award kind of means yeah. nothing to the public. Really and you just imagine how weird it is for Johnny Depp to just like get FedExed in the mail. Like, because <laughs> you imagine he probably wasn't watching that broadcast and then just shows up on his doorstep and he's like, I guess so. I want a globe. Here's your globe for best comedy. It was best comedy. Best comedy or musical. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I am, I am glad for its existence mm-hmm. if only because you know somebody like you who's never seen it before sure. like your introduction to it and you're still getting Sweeney Todd it's still like you're still system. getting yeah, right. yeah. so yeah. you know I, I, I'm I happy that it exists for you know for Sondheim and for for people to discover it and you know it certainly had has had a lot to do with the the estimation of of the piece itself yeah. yes you know, I think so and it helps culturally it helps people who might not have ever heard of it, discover it, or might not have ever seen it. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you can then go and listen to the original cast recording or your yeah. cast recording or right. anything like that. It, it um, also feels to me like it, it doesn't feel like culturally this holds the place of, oh, this is the definitive Sweeney Todd right, movie. Right, so we Certainly can never not. do it again. Yeah. Or, or that uh, it was so disastrous that no one wants to touch it again. Right. I right. think because of how specific Burton is, yeah. And the two actors he used at the time and how much it takes place in his own little hermetic like career. It almost stands outside. Right. Where it's know. just yeah. like that's his Sweeney Todd. Yeah. And yeah. maybe 15 years from now someone else is going to do a more traditional version or a more untraditional version. Right. Or, or whatever it is. It doesn't feel like yeah. he's sort of taken the one shot that someone had to make this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would not. I would be surprised if there is not a new Sweeney Todd film within the next decade or so. It hmm. just feels like it will probably happen at some. Point. I suppose there's only a the only other Sondheim film adaptation is Into the Woods, really, which is so bizarre. Uh, another which was movie a big that hit. feels this like was it, not a. Yeah. This right. was a sort of medium, a very yeah. big hit that like kind of doesn't exist. Uh, yeah, that one kind of doesn't exist. And feels like that another one, movie where sort of forgot exists, all the purists right. were like, they're going to fuck it up, they're going to fuck it up, and then it came out and people were largely kind of indifferent to it. Yeah. I saw that. You yeah. did? Yeah. When I was very young. And it, oh, you mean you saw like the, sh- the show? Yeah. Right? yeah. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. Right. And it left a real lasting impression. Well, it's a great show. It was yeah. a great show. Right. Yeah. And it was 
the, if you remember the set, it was huge. Yes. And that, I think, was like a real... You're talking about the, the Broadway? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 The it was, giant it was huge. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I remember being a kid like, I like this. Right. Yeah. I saw it with v- Vanessa Williams. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's that right. yeah. the revival of it. That was right. the revival, right. right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's so wild that that show is done... So much, yeah. In that's like done in high schools. So, they right. usually yeah. only do the first half, right? Yeah, there's no. I think it's just you just you just make the wolf a little less. Uh, I think there is a version obvious. like a young people. There's there like a young just, just the first, first half. half. Yeah, because I think before that it gets was, dark, right? Because <laughs> shit gets dark. Uh, yeah. Yes, yeah. it does. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> but uh, I think that was everyone's fear going into the Disney film was like, well, that's totally what Disney's going to do, right. and then they adapted the whole show, and it kind of just doesn't work, but in a way that no one could really get angry about. Like, it's just sort of like, well, that thing just kind of lays there. It's just kind of there. They do. Yeah. It's, it's It's very rote. They sort of, they stage the songs. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Everyone can sing kind of, you know, it's fine. Like that's a little passionless. That's an example of a movie where it it feels a little claustrophobic where Mm -hmm. the amount of time they spend in a bad way. Mm. Somehow the, the woods set, which is big, makes the world feel too small. You know, or maybe it's the sets outside of the woods. I don't know what it is, but there's something about that movie that cost like fucking $80 million and still feels really small and hermetic uh, in a way that doesn't help it. Like everyone's good in it. Like it's like a weird, you know. I have to see. I don't know why. Chris Pine and Billy Magnuson doing the um, agony is very funny. It has moments that are great. Emily Blunt's great in it. Emily Blunt's quite good. She's like. She's a talented actor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's play the box office game. Okay, I I still, I mean... You still like it. No, no, I still like it. But the other thing I was going to say is, you know, people, how how few Sondheim adaptations we get, how sort of sacred those texts seem to be, how afraid people are to try to bring them to screen. I so badly wish someone had the courage to try to do Assassins, which is a tricky one because it is very stagey in sort of its whole conception. That it but, doesn't take place in a tangible reality. But yeah, but I think if you way, lean into it, that's and, what I think. You know, I think, yeah. I, I mean, so many of them. Company could, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, could be a really interesting small scale, like Mike Lee ish kind yeah. of oh musical. There are ways um, to get creative with his shows yeah. and non. It, Follies it, seems right. like designed to be a film. Yeah. You know? Follies just, is the one that would be easiest, I think. Company yeah. would be fun. And this new company that I saw in London. Oh, there's, an, and there's another one here, the Fiasco. Theater company, I think, is doing really? it at roundabout. Somebody was just telling me. It's a great. Or no, show. no, no. Sorry, uh, merrily we were along. Oh Good yeah, girl. right. No, that's yes, mm-hmm. that's that's being staged here right now. Uh, that's in Lady Bird, so I feel like that's been handled. <laughs> sure, sure. That's the show they're doing. In Lady <laughs> that's Bird. right. That's sure. right. Um, they didn't understand it. That's what uh, you know. Uh, that's what he says. You you know that uh, Mark Kudish is on season two of The Tech. I heard. So I have this, like, I've repeated it to everyone who has the power to make these decisions. But I'm like, if we get a season three, if we keep going, every season we got to get someone from the <laughs> Broadway musical. 2003, 2004 <laughs> production. Oh, if Assassins. Like, right. I'm like, literally, we're just working with the Assassins. Dennis O'Hare would be perfect. I mean, it's a show. great Becky Ann you know, Baker. Becky Ann these Baker, are like great, uh, great yeah. people. Right. Yeah. Like, let's, let's get them all in there. Yeah. Sure. Right, Neil Patrick Harris could play a chair-faced Chippendale. Yeah, he'd love it. He'd all, love it. All leading up to the musical Tick episode. Right, you know? right, exactly, yeah. Oh, that would That'd be, be good. I am I kind of the only person in the cast who can't sing. 
Right, but then it would be like Buffy, the Buffy musical episode where Buffy doesn't sing too much. Right, you cut around me. Or no, no, it's Willow who can't sing. Right, yeah. Wait, you Willow have no doesn't shame. Really sing. You'd be great. I would commit. I yeah. would certainly commit. Griffin has plenty of shame. What are you talking about? He just weaponizes it. Not, not in that. Right. I weaponize my shame. I weaponize my shame. I make it seem like a choice. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, but like Valerie's a great singer. Yeah. Peter's a great singer. Have you ever heard Peter like. Peter seems like the guy who'd be a great singer. Peter yeah. for I mean, those fun. English people also, they, they are always like five tool talents, like yeah. secretly. Where they're like, oh, I can yeah. fence and dance. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Peter, I had to do it for my O level. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> Peter does this crazy thing where, like, the the hours on the show are so difficult. It's such a physically demanding thing. Yeah. There's so much verbal dexterity that he has to apply for that character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he'll stay up until like three o'clock in the morning every night, being like, "Can I play you something I worked on last <laughs> night? I just thought this. I had this idea. I thought it was funny, and I stayed up working on it." And it's either, like, a video where he'll, like, cut something together and redub the people or whatever. Sure. Or he'll write song parodies. <laughs> like Weird Al Yankovic style? Like. Yeah, but he'll do them in perfect impressions of the people. Right, so he's right, done, right. like, Beatles songs where he just, like— He's just changing the lyrics. You know the, yeah. the beginning of Day in the Life where it's like, get up, get out of yep, bed? Of course. Yeah. He does a version of the song where it never gets out of that period. And the, <laughs> Paul McCartney just keeps describing <laughs> every single thing that happened that morning. And he like played it for me. I was like, why did you do this? And he was like, I don't know. I just thought it was funny. Well, that's but his then, personality, right? But it's like, so, yeah. right. And then you like go, wait a second. You're like singing really well as Paul McCartney. <laughs> right. He's done the same thing with Bowie. Like he does like a perfect Bowie. Sure. Uh, do a musical episode. Uh, Scott and Brennan are both great singers. Get Sondheim on board. Yeah. Yeah, we should. I bet he would love to love it. He must love the tick. He must. There's no way that Steven Sondheim <laughs> doesn't watch the tick. Doesn't like zero percent chance. <laughs> um, okay, box office game. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, do you want to explain this game for Michael? Uh, uh, this is December twenty first, two thousand seven. I'm a crazy person, and the only thing that sticks in my brain is box office performances of movies. <laughs> so I try to guess uh, the box office the weekend that the film came out. Uh, oh. Oh, actually, oh wow, this is a good one for you. Okay, was this? I, it you're was, welcome to join in as <laughs> well. Oh yeah, please yeah, guess. guess. <laughs> Sorry, what were you gonna say? This is literally Christmas. Yeah, it's a Does Christmas, it it's Christmas weekend. Uh, it might. It's yeah, twenty first to twenty fifth. It's a okay. four day weekend. Yeah, it opened to thirteen million dollars. And I feel like Sweeney Todd. Right, I feel like four or five were the opening day. Sure, and it, then it like dropped seventy percent on day two. <laughs> it did pretty well on Christmas. I was looking at its daily. Weird, but, but yeah. you know, it's Christmas. People go to the movies. Right. They go see Sweeney Todd. <laughs> right. But it opens pretty low. It's like open people's throats. Some, up. some right. families, you know. Yeah. Uh, Thir- yeah. I think it was 13 for the four day and then yeah, like 50, nine 52 for the- domestic uh, was not its final total. Terrible, which is not basically great. its budget. Yeah. And 152 worldwide. Yeah, so it did, you know, it made okay. No one took a yeah. bath. Now, on number it. one is a movie we've, we've talked about. It's a sequel. Okay, Ben loves it. He's pointing to, and he's pumping his it's a, fist. It's a sequel in a franchise that never, never got to go any further, but it did really well. This is the second and last film. That's right. In oh, the franchise. It can't be the last. Well, they could make another one. It's yeah. been a while. And Ben loves it. And it's from 2007. Yeah. Yeah. It's is from 2007. It National Treasure Book of Secrets? Yeah. Uh, see? Yeah. Here Nicholas he is. Cage's character's name is Ben. Benjamin uh, Gates? I don't know. I think. That I just remember right. that. Because isn't he like supposed to be a great, great descendant <laughs> of... Like Benjamin Franklin or I something? Think so. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Which is really cool. Right, because in families... Right, the, the first one where they steal the Constitution or is that the first one? Uh, no, the second one is they steal the Book of Secrets. 
Right? Of course. Fuck. I don't know. I, I haven't seen the second one. I saw the first one. I, I remember the that. first one they stole the concept. Do you have a national treasure take, Michael? Uh, no. Okay. No. That's fine. The, the that's second one, the big trailer really. line is, we're going to have to kidnap the president of the Yeah, United right. States. They kidnapped the president. Right. right. Uh, well, it was a big hit. It did it, really it well. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't make it, any of them. It right. fucking rules. It's yeah. like an example of like easy layup to do a third movie, except two things happened. One, Disney shifted to being like, we only want to do movies that make a billion dollars. Right. If a film makes $700 million, it's not worth it for us anymore. And two is- And beat Nicolas Cage. Right, right. <laughs> like, this was the last moment. And yeah, then, time just sort of caught up there. Right. right. They yeah. were like, before we do National Treasure 3, what if we do Sorcerer's Apprentice? Yes, right. And, <laughs> and that, they just lost all their goodwill on that one. Yeah. My friend Derek Simon and I, we have spent years trying to stealthily uh, do our own sort of real-life National Treasure, trying to steal the script for National Treasure 3, <laughs> which exists. Sure. Oh, yeah. up they commissioned it, and they wrote it right after this, and it's just never gotten off Same the ground. writers or— I believe so. We have friends who have, at different times, worked in the Jerry Bruckheimer Productions offices who have stolen pages from us. <laughs> Truly stolen pages. My friend Derek has two pages framed in his office. No way. I have them saved to my phone. They're in the cloud. Like, we know the opening two so or three pages you ever of the go script. missing. It's, we're it's trying there. to. We're literally trying. To, we're trying to steal the script for National Treasure 3. Okay, so that's number one. It's a huge Christmas movie. I saw it two times in Fair theaters. Enough. It was the movie my whole family went to see on Christmas Day, because uh, it was it that was it was that type of movie where it was like everyone can kind of agree. Sure, on it. Gonna, no one's totally excited except for Griffin. <laughs> right. Um, okay, number two is a film I saw in theaters. Um, it's a, mm, kind of a horror movie, but like very big budget horror movie with a big star. For Christmas, it's really good. I, I've always been very fond of this movie. It's Marley a and this performance. <laughs> 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 Truly horrifying. Uh, five comedy points. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this is no ordinary dog. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Not this dog. I tell you, wow. Grogan. This song do Grogan. Um, uh, how do I? Mm, it's a, it's a based on a book. Uh, how do you explain this movie? It's, it's scary. I saw this theater. It was I was scared. Was it an Oscar play at all? No, no, no. not at all. So no, it's no, a no, pure no. commercial play. Totally, it was that a big comes hit. out Christmas time. Yes, comes out. It came out the week before. It it's makes dystopian. Yeah, it's the future. It comes out like it makes two hundred fifty million dollars. It makes huge, t- huge. Oh, oh, I am legend. I am legend. Oh. The Will Smith, Omega Man. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you and I share this opinion, which is like That's one like of his those best movies. Performance. Yeah. It's definitely his best performance. He is. So incredibly good in that. Yeah. And it's also one of those movies that is so frustratingly close to being a masterpiece. Mm. It's like 80- It doesn't have a great ending, which is sort of its problem. And the monsters are really bad. Yeah, they they should have goopy. They, like, that's one of those crazy movies. They, uh, I I grew up in uh, Greenwich Village where- They filmed all of that movie. Uh My senior year of high school was every night I would look out my window and watch Watch them filming overnights. Right. And they like in the Washington like uh, square fountain. Yeah. They would have like clearly like movement actors and like dancers in white leotards and vampire makeup running and scurrying around. And I would just like literally like. Hands on my, like, you know, on my chin, look out and be like, oh, someday I'm going to be in the pictures. <laughs> and then they thought that the vampires looked so bad that they, like, at the last minute, CGI'd all of them. Uh, and they look really bad and really rushed. Yeah. I can't imagine that the practical ones look worse. Yeah. Uh, but the stuff that's good in that movie is so fucking good. Um, uh, and, and Will Smith rules in that. Yeah. Do you have an Iron Legend take? 
Um, you don't have to. <laughs> I, I, I'm just agreeing. I, yeah. I I remember seeing it, and I remember when they were filming it too. I, yeah, Marin Ireland is a friend of mine. Yes. And she's she's like bleeds from the eyes at the yeah. at the fence at some point. <laughs> yeah. I remember that vividly. <laughs> um, all right, number three is a children's film that you like to talk about. The first in a long running franchise. That is not going away. Right. And ironically, uh, <laughs> I have only seen two out of the four. And this isn't one of them? No, this no, is. This I hate one. this fucking movie. Sure, it's sure, often sure. in the trip, monks. That's right. Which <laughs> which makes an insane amount of money. Huge hit. Yeah. yeah so a I mean, surprise hit in 2007. Right. The entire, like, sort of economy of a small country. <laughs> the um, Do you remember the tagline for the first movie? Alvin! No, no, no. It's really specific. You only would have done this tagline right about now. Here Comes Trouble? The original Entourage. Oh, fuck In, that. like, sort of the font of Entourage. I also remember the tr- the poster, like, they all had, like, bucket hats and sunglasses They had, like, hoodies on. up, and they're, yeah. like, cool. Yeah. No, um, I, there, there was a poster that was Jason Lee just leaning into a white negative space. You know, sure, the sure, void sure, sure, sure. of, uh, you know, humanity. <laughs> and the three chipmunks are there. And the tagline was just, here comes trouble. That's right. That's, uh, that's right. this one here. Right. Here, here comes go. trouble. Right. Right. And they're all dressed in their sort of entourage adjacent work, <laughs> wardrobes. One of them's got a bucket hat. I did not yeah. the movie. I did not know that the film was being made. And I went to see a movie with my friends that summer. And we walked by that poster and stopped and just There's, stared at it for five minutes. <laughs> the original entourage. Wow. For five minutes, we just looked at it and went, Which here comes trouble. <laughs> I think Theodore. Theodore's <laughs> Theodore, turtle. Yeah, yeah Theodore. he's little. Right. I guess he's the little one. Right. Simon is E. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> Alvin he's is obviously nerdy. Vinny Chase. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Dave Seville is Johnny Drama. <laughs> sure. Uh, who's Ari? Who's Ari? <laughs> Fuck. In the first one. Oh no! It is David Cross. David Cross plays their <laughs> yeah. shifty agent. In that right, movie. Yeah. right. Right. Yeah. Those three films are all about David Cross, like trying to get the better <laughs> of those chipmunks. And it's one of those things where, like, he signed a three-picture deal because he was like. You're not going to make a fucking sequel. <laughs> yeah. I want to buy a weekend house in the woods. <laughs> Let alone a squeakle. Right, just let me do the first movie and get out of it. And, like, by two and three, he would be <laughs> like, doing the rounds promoting oh them and God. being like, I hate these producers. <laughs> I hate them on a personal level. I didn't want to be in this movie. Trying to talk they himself threatened out of me. four. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Uh, a terrible franchise. Um, the f- number f- number five is Sweeney Todd. So number four. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. how do I describe it's a true story the, uh, legendary director Ooh, legendary screenwriter people kind of forget this movie Charlie exists Wilson's War? Charlie Wilson's yeah. War Mike Nichols no Aaron Sorkin like Tom, Tom Hanks, Hanks Roberts, is like a corrupt congressman yeah who got Oscar nominated wow. yeah. and it's like one of those like you wouldn't believe it but this congressman like sold guns to Afghanistan yeah. it's sort of like is, that, is it something we need to re-examine now? Or? Nope. <laughs> no. It's one of those, it's a movie that ends, the like, final minute is them being like, and actually, this is serious. And you're like, it is? And they're like, yeah, I think so. Anyway, roll the credits. Like, yeah. we, we are not going to get into it. You know, like, it tries to sort of have its cake and eat it too and like totally uh-huh. bungles it. It tries to be a sort of wag the dog Right. Yeah, right, right, yes. It's In going pitch. for wag the dog. Right. right. Very heightened, like Washington with a clown show. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's also one of those movies that just has like an insane, Insanely overqualified supporting cast of people who are on the verge of becoming like major, like Emily Blunt yeah, and yeah, Amy Adams right. in like uh, sort of really nothing roles, right? Features. Like Amy Adams plays like yeah. his secretary and just takes notes for Tom Hanks in a bunch of scenes. Right. And it's like this is the last time Amy Adams isn't Amy Adams, right? Yeah. You know, with all the weight that implies. Um, 
uh, the, there's one great scene in that movie, which is Philip Seymour Hoffman's introduction. Yeah, which is very funny. Where it's him and John Slattery, and he just does, because Aaron Sorkin wrote that fucking movie too, right? I know, yes. There's one scene that? of Philip Seymour Hoffman doing a five-minute Aaron Sorkin <laughs> monologue mm-hmm. to John Slattery that ends with him taking a hammer and breaking his office window right. that rules. Great. I watch uh-huh. it on YouTube all the time. Uh-huh. The rest of that movie does not exist, and that is one of those movies where a year in advance everyone was like, well, Oscars are Oscar. solved. It's yeah. done. Yeah. Roberts. It's They're yeah. going to sweep. I mean, you would think. Right. It was Nichols, yep. Hanks, Nichols. Roberts, I think it's Sorkin. One of Nichols' Pisa. last movies. Is it his last movie? I think it's his very last film. Yeah. Um, right? Because Closer's before that. It is. 2004. I think that's his last mm. movie. Mm. Um, and now, do you think it's because my father was a Greek soda pop maker or do you think it's because I'm a fucking spy fuck you that's the Philip Seymour Hoffman speech it's really good watch it on YouTube alright we're done he says you fucking child <laughs> it's really it's a good Philip Seymour Hoffman yells at someone scene right. you wanna ask those questions oh yes um, so uh, 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 apologies in advance okay uh, Michael I have nothing uh, to do with this cause you're a wonderful man <laughs> Uh, you've been very and kind to me. We've been so close for uh, so long. We've been we've been very friendly. <laughs> I will say, uh, you know, I, I was uh, very intimidated when you had gotten cast on the show. Big fan of your work, but was like, that, oh fuck, that went away as soon as we started working well, together. So you're famously terrifying. <laughs> well, I did. I was like, oh, fuck, he's like a real actor. He's gonna like see <laughs> sure, through sure, me. Right, right. He's he'll, gonna be he'll like, walk right up to you and be like, excuse me, right? Who's the fucking trained dog? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Do I have to put peanut butter on my finger in order to? Trick him like, could, a, could we put him in a velour tracksuit or something yes. just to <laughs> and the first day that we worked together were those two days where we were out in the field where it was like 120 oh, degrees yeah. and blowing up cars and right shit. and you were wearing like a camel skin like coat <laughs> yeah. that was like or, or camel hair camel hair sorry <laughs> camel skin would have camel been flesh really hat disturbing uh, yeah that would have been a real you choice were in this yeah. coat and then you had like like stunt harnesses underneath you and <laughs> yeah. everything. And I was in the full costume. That was the day that Peter fainted out yeah. of dehydration. Yeah. Oh, great. Like it was like a nuts fucking. And on the Boy Scout camp in Staten Island. Right. And we had like fire and explosion. <laughs> we were literally on a Boy Scouts campus. We had our lunch in like the Boy Scouts like cafeteria. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you and I met like in the tent where we're like both like sweating. Yeah. And it was kind of great because immediately it was like, well, we're like, both. There's no pretense. Here. Level playing dead. field. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. um, but David even like said to me, not to out you, David, but you were like, <laughs> I'm kind of intimidated by Michael coming. And he's like such a like serious actor. I just like, I wonder. And I was like, no, he's like the sweetest guy. He's the best. You know, he's got no ego whatsoever. And and you're also just such an incredible artist no. and so incredible work. I need uh, needed to appreciate all that because uh, you're going to stop no, being you're... friends with me after this. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Rachel, uh, or sometimes producer of the show, out out the window here at the <laughs> audio boom offices. You should let her inside at some point. But uh, yes, yeah. uh, she sometimes uh, she'll, uh, pop in. she'll pop in and uh, work the ones and zeros. Uh, she and her friend, uh, b- big fans of your work. Okay. Uh, big fans of Sweeney Todd, and they wrote a series of questions. You're cold oh, okay. reading these, as far as I know. Right? I'm cold reading yeah. these. Uh, so uh, if if I can put on my James Lipton hat for please, a second, please. Uh, is is Mr. Todd here with us today? Can we speak to Mr. Todd? I suppose you could. <laughs> wow, not fucking around. Okay, <laughs> question number one, dear Mr. Todd, uh, what barber school did you go to? Well, I guess I would say the school of hard knocks. Sure. No. A little off Fleet Street. Right, they have a good. They have a good uh, theater program too, right? Yes, and and uh, hotel administration. I started with shampoo, but of course, was 
Oh, that's like one hundred and one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> working your way up. Now, this one feels less like uh, an interview question, more like a trivia question. <laughs> uh, to what food stuff do you enjoy comparing hair colors? And don't worry, there are four options: <laughs> a corn, b sunflower, c hay. Uh, D, wheat. It, it's supposed to be D, but instead they put a second B in. <laughs> I'll take two B. Okay. Or not. Oh. Oh. Uh, uh, Mr. Todd. Uh, <laughs> ben, Ben's very into this. <laughs> Mr. Todd, uh, what rhymes yes. with locksmith? Oh, I've been stumped by this for years. <laughs> Next. Where did you plan to retire after vengeance since you hate London so much? Sure. <laughs> Big Black Pit. <laughs> you know, your post-vengeance plans. Blackpool. Oh, great, lovely. Great By answer. the sea. Yeah. Right. Lovely this time of year. And that's, I mean, it's, it's an expansion. Yeah. You want to go from a pit to a pool, <laughs> even if both are black. Yeah. Uh, d- d- uh, sorry if this is too personal. Uh, did you and Miss Lovett have intercourse? <laughs> wow. That's a question. I did not write these questions. I don't think racial. Well, no, I mean, I'll let Sweeney speak. Could you be more specific? Uh, Which Mrs. Lovett? <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, I think that Let's answer just speaks say for itself. A barber never tells. Okay. Sure. Uh, you spend expression. a lot of time teaching Anthony the different shades of blonde hair. Back to the blonde hair. <laughs> but when Anthony gets to the asylum, he just points to Joanna and says, "That one." Do you regret the time you spent teaching Anthony all of that? <laughs> Do you think of that as sort of sunken cost? He's a fucking idiot. Yep. Sure. It feels like these questions are very pointed to try to get specific <laughs> answers. Oh, you're kidding me. It yeah. does, and I've, I've managed to do none of them. <laughs> <laughs> when you return to London after 15 years, no one recognizes you except Senor Pirelli slash Danny O'Higgins. What did you do that he remembers you? Or is face blindness li- limited to the English? After all, you did not recognize your own wife that you spent 15 years pining on. I mean, this feels kind of cinema sensey. <laughs> you know, I never really looked at her that much when we were together. Um, I had changed my hair, uh, but um, that really, uh, I guess that the Irish really are, are more perceptive race. And you know what? That is sort of the principle your entire life is based around that a, a hair can really change a man. <laughs> yes, true. You know, a modification of a cut. Uh, are you sorry that you didn't get to kill Anthony? Um, well, I suppose this is the son I never killed. So in that way, it's probably a good thing. Uh, here, here's one, and uh, I don't know. Someone else might enter the studio to also answer this question. Uh, who would win in a fight between John Wilkes Booth and you? Oh my you? God, <laughs> John Wilkes Booth has a gun. Uh, yes, <laughs> I'm forgetting my accents now. <laughs> Wilksy, <laughs> six semper tyrannis. That's a big line. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, it is. It's kind of, it's kind of the, at last my arm is complete again yes. of, of assassins. Mm-hmm. I can tell you an interesting uh, <sighs> anecdote about that. Um, I, I always knew it from, uh, from the recording as at last my arm is complete again, which is mm-hmm. what Len Carey was saying. Um, so when I went to do it the first time when Sondheim was there for a run through, I did, you know, at last my arm is complete again. And he said, um, is it, did they change the script? And I was like, no, that's that's, <laughs> that's what, what it says. And he says, no, it should be right arm. I'm like, really? 
my right arm is complete. At last, my right arm is complete again, mm. you know, meaning like yeah. metaphorical and right. literal. Mm-hmm. But Len Carew was left-handed. Oh. So it was cut for Len. Tricky Len. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and then another an Assassins-related one. I... I love doing research for for characters, and especially when you have a real person, you can you know. So I did what, a lot one of, of the great actors of all time, John Wilkes Booth. Yeah, exactly. That's what he's mostly remembered for. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Up, you know, up to that point. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and he, there's a book, a collection of his letters and mm-hmm. stuff. So it was really interesting research. And I realized that in in the balladeer song, he says, uh, "27 years of age. Um, why did you do it, Johnny?" And when I was reading, I realized, oh, actually, he was killed. He would have been 27 that year, but he was killed short of his birthday, so he was exactly. actually 26. Right. <laughs> so, you know, thinking I was doing him a big favor, oh, I go boy. up to Steve and say, you know, Steve, um, <laughs> oh boy, I've been doing a little research. Yeah. And, uh, You're going to thank me for uh, this one. 26 years. He was actually 26, and <laughs> there was a pause, and he yeah. said, 27 sounds better. Right. <laughs> like, it's got two syllables. You're Stephen Sondheim. And <laughs> also, you're absolutely right. What a tragedy that uh, John Wilkes Booth. He didn't get to join the, the like Jimi Hendrix club. club. Yeah, exactly. right. To be up yeah, there yeah, jamming yeah. in heaven he with Hendrix and Joplin and Cobain. Maybe that's what Steve wanted to do. Like, right. Just yeah. He was really almost there too. Looking at him, he was he was like two weeks off of his birthday. Yeah. 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 yeah so Stevie Sondheim's yeah, doing some fuzzy math. I mean, you can give him fair enough. Uh, I'm going to apologize in advance for this question, okay. uh, which I want to remind everyone was written by Rachel, who usually <laughs> acts like we are poorly behaved when she appears on this show. Mm-hmm. I just want to remind everyone that oh my she God, what's acts the question? like yeah. we are well, immature. Wrap this up. <laughs> there are two questions left. They're both quick. I think you will not want to answer either one. Okay. Uh, did you ever eat Mrs. Lovett's pies? Also, <laughs> did you ever eat Mrs. Lovett's quote unquote pie? You should have screened this. Yeah, I didn't know this. I will say that in our production, they were all pantomimed. So the Cunnilingus was. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, there was. I mean, there was not even a prop pie for you to eat. <laughs> sure. exactly. Right, right, right. right. Uh, a final question and another very leading question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what did you do with the bones? Carve a nice spoon set. <laughs> um, I started a band and played drums. Oh, yeah. oh, I love a bone drum. Oh, right. yeah. I love a Don't bone you? drum. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm a big fan of bones. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, let's just drop it. <laughs> right yeah. right yeah. right really no, no follow-up to that. Uh, do, you, do you have anything uh, you want to plug? I mean, people should check out your music if they haven't. Yeah, you're... Loose Cattle is my my band. Um, we've uh, we've got a few recordings out there on the uh iTunes, Spotify, and you tour classes. around. You do shows. We tour around. Yeah, People we did. Keep uh, their, their finger on the pulse. Yeah, in New York and New Orleans, especially, mm-hmm. we play a lot in those places. Um, and uh, no, I've got. I just finished doing something that I'm still top you secret. Know, yeah, like we'll have my tongue removed if I mention really? it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you and, th- and actually probably yeah. Now I'm trying to think because you you you've done your Marvel, you got your Marvel yeah, punch I, card, which you weren't allowed to talk about. Yeah, exactly. Right? In fact, now I think I can because it's been on Netflix. So you know, right, yeah, it's they, been enough time. Yeah. Oh, wait, Kevin Feige just walked in. And he has <laughs> a like, piano no, wire. No. <laughs> um, no, we were talking about your Marvel appearance and how you could come back. Yeah, it's possible. Same I mean, the, the, the character, yeah. you know, in the comics does come Egghead. back as Egghead. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, tick. We, we you don't could know. Come back. I mean, you know, we, toasted. 
You know, yeah, you and I have both heard some of the blue sky pitching. Yeah. That they did for ideas for how you could come back. Yeah. That were that were fantastic. Right. Fantastic. Uh, it doesn't happen season two. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. a non-spoiler spoiler. No. Now you tell me. Yeah. <laughs> You've been waiting. For <laughs> I've been waiting. I thought this was like kind of you know when I was going to find out. Well, yeah. They, I can tell you, uh, season two <laughs> we finished filming in uh, July. And it comes out uh, April 5th. Uh, we're mm-hmm. still waiting for a couple of those uh, final rewrites there, on the script. Any ADR? I think we're still missing some pages on the script. That's the timetable we usually work on. Sure. Yeah. And Gotham is is over now. So right, you know, I guess right. I won't be coming back on that either. Right. Uh, I, I want you to come back as uh, Egghead. Yeah. I just, yeah, me too. I feel like, uh, you know, the first two Ant-Man films have leaned heavily into like science-y mm-hmm. uh, villains. Right, right, right. And I want the third one to just be like, <laughs> goofy, e- goofy, here's goofy. a guy with an egg gun. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think that's what, like, it, why? That's what the franchise has been missing. Why time. build to this sort of like superhero surplus culture if we can't get to the point where a guy's a got an egg, egg gun? gun. <laughs> <laughs> I demand it. I want that. Uh, Come on. Yes. Ant-Man 3. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp uh, and Egghead. We dare you. (laughs) Right. Uh, Do it and be legends. Uh, Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. This is a blast. All right. That's good. Um, uh, And thank you all for listening. Oh. And uh, please remember, rate, review, subscribe. Thanks to Andrew Gudo for our social media, Joe Bowen and Pat Reynolds for our artwork, Lane Montgomery for our theme song. Go to blankies.reddit.com for some real nerdy shit. Go to TeePublic for some real nerdy shirts. And uh, Patreon, become a checkmate. That's right. uh, l- listen to that stuff. We're, we're going through the, the Marvel film, so That's we'll, right. we'll, we'll get eventually to oh. get to oh, yeah. uh, Eggman himself. And we'll pause the movie <laughs> and go on a 40-minute uh, Eggman-specific yeah, uh, tangent. Of course. Woo. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and as always, uh, uh, I, you know, I had— Sweeney. Sweeney. I had one like 45 Sweeney. minutes ago that I, I was one. trying to hold on to. Hey, oh, okay. The end of this movie pays out like a blood bag. Good. Very good. There we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>